Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Podcast Season Four, Episode Forty Eight. You know, I have to say, this is Episode Forty Eight, and um, there's only fifty-two weeks in a year, <laughs> right? So, I just want to point out, you know, that. Mm, I mean, admittedly, and I think in two weeks' time, we may not be recording a podcast if I'm not playing my cards right. You know, we're thinking, unless we have the crickets back on the show again. Um, but yeah, just, uh, yeah. And, and kind of, what are we doing? What, is season four going to end at 52, or are we just going to start playing with time and space and well, I mean, I guess it depends if you want to discuss this on or off off uh, broadcast, but I mean... Well, we're talking about it now. This is broadcast. Okay, so realistically, we've got three more episodes of uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. That's the 23rd, the 30th, and the 7th. Those are the last three episodes of this season. After that, there is a, for the first time since the fall, there will be a Star Trek hiatus. Oh, so, okay. in theory, we could take a break at that point. So, it actually, so we could come. actually theoretically hit 52 and then start season five sometime later. In whatever. August, when, uh, when uh, Lower Decks comes back. Right, right. But mm. uh, it depends if we want to... Well, we will be able to wrap up Obi-Wan next week, uh, but we wouldn't be wrapping up Ms. Marvel, but it's just a matter of whether we care enough to do that or the boys or anything else. It's just, if we want to take a break for a few weeks, we could certainly do that between the... After the 7th and up until probably, it'll probably be mid to late August. So my name is Symmetra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulai in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? That, you know, that's the first time in, I don't know, what, eight years that How's It Going didn't really come out that well. But I guess you got, you're recording on your end, so <laughs> should be fine, right? 
it's funny we had we had a guest host on uh the morning just code last week and he's a he's a fan of the show uh he's another podcaster but he's been listening to our show for years and years and years and he was like totally amazed that uh how's it going is actually spoken by Jaime Lopez and it's not just a tape loop I've been playing for the last eight years. <laughs> it's not just a sound. I'm telling you. Yeah, it needs huh? to be a supercut. Needs to be a supercut. Well, yeah. I mean, I I could just basically take uh, I don't know, we've I, I, between more than just code and this show, we've probably done five hundred episodes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, if you do the math, probably right there. I could just take the same clip and just play it five hundred <laughs> times, and you would not notice a difference. You know, like it's it's other than the you know the the volume or recording quality or whatever, it's the same every single time. Don't yeah, take it as a negative, Jaime. Consistency is key. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, again, we're still not convinced that uh, that he's not an AI. If, if people, if other hosts on the show hadn't actually met him, <laughs> you know, he's a Siri voice. You can get, you can, you can get a Hummy Lopez Jr. for your, for your iPod or your, your phone. He can be your, your ringtone. <laughs> All righty. No fact checks week. We were perfect last week. Woo! Um, woo. All right. And uh, so, yeah, let's dig into the headlines. And guess who's up first? The, the robot Hummy Lopez Jr. Sentient being that he is. <laughs> So last week, we talked about the fact that it was not Morbin time for Morbius to return to theaters. Sony's going back to the well again, but this time with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home returning to theaters on September 2nd in the wait what so-called the more fun stuff version with more Spider-Man or Spidey-related scenes, uh, partially in celebration of the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man in comics. And apparently the 20th anniversary of Tobey Maguire's debut in the first movie. Hmm. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. The stars aligned for that one. And uh, if you're going to bring anything back to the theaters, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is probably a good one. Yeah, I suppose. They just don't want to show Tom Cruise's movie in IMAX, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it, and I'm not a fan, but it seems to have done really well at the box office. Was this uh, the Maverick? Maverick, yeah. The, the top, new, yeah. new Top Gun movie seems to have done really well over the last few weeks. I, I've seen it pop up when I'm scan, scanning for other stories. It seems like it's uh, it's made a fair chunk of change. Well, it's, it's, so I was just talking, chatting with my friend Jason from work, who is a huge uh, film buff. And he goes he go, used to go to TIFF and all that kind of stuff. He's taking a break because of COVID and all that stuff. But yeah, I was just I was at an event today with him. And I was telling him that, yeah, I really think that you should see that movie in IMAX if you can. I mean... If you're not going to watch an IMAX, my, my, if you're going to watch it at home, it's a rental. I mean, like from it, like in terms of quality and amazingness and whatever, yeah, you, you're fine just watching it at home. But if you can see it in IMAX, I highly recommend it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's, you know, like Tom Cruise is, is known for hanging off the side of a giant airplane as it's taken off. I mean, he's done that for real. And he's broken his foot jumping from one building to another. He's an idiot, but, you know, still. But he does this to entertain the the crowd, and and you know, the the work that these uh, actors who are now pilots as a result of being in this movie, you know, amazing stuff. Anyway, we're not talking about Spider Man though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Jaime, you're still you're still uh, movie free since pre COVID. Uh, is this any more enticing than than the previous release? No, I think since I saw the you know previous release um, at home. Um, whenever it became available on digital, um, I think I'll, I'll wait on, on this. Um, so Spidey's been, you've seen Spidey? I've seen Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't remember okay. when it came on digital, maybe back in May. So I technically own it for the 20 bucks or whatever I spend on Amazon to, uh, to sort of rent, but basically purchase. 
which probably means they'll double dip and want another purchase again. But, but, you, but you don't have the more fun version, right? You don't, you have to pay more for the more fun version now. That's what I'm thinking. Just <laughs> like when DVDs had, you know, the regular edition, the you know special edition, the director's cut edition, the Criterion Collection edition, a bunch of uh, double dipping. But you know, going and seeing yeah. the theaters might be kind of nice. Well, that said, I'm I'm the guy who owns multiple copies of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, I saw it when I was a kid. You know, I bought it. I think I bought it on VHS. I think I know someone who had a recorded copy of it on VHS. And I bought. I'm sure I bought it on DVD. I'm sure I, ha- I have it on Blu-ray. But I even bought the uh, extended version of the Holy Grail, which has a, literally has two extra minutes. Ooh. <laughs> To which you're supposed to say, get on with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, like, it's interesting that they're bringing Spider-Man back. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I like seeing movies in theater. And, and so if there's a movie that's good, you know, I will go see it in the theater. Like I, just because, I mean, like, I, I mean, I was thinking about this. I went and saw Peter Gabriel's uh, Secret World, which is one of my favorite live concerts. I actually saw him play that tour. But, and then, of course, he put out a, a movie of the filmed in Italy at one of the performances, and that's been famously on DVD forever. I saw that at a theater once because they were playing it, and I don't know how many times I've seen Blade Runner in a theater. Like, whenever it's on, I'll go see it. Or, same thing, if, if they put New Hope in a the theater, I'd go see it. You know, I'd probably go see the rest of the trash that they have under Star Wars banner, but, you know, because uh, I, I, I mean, I saw the Phantom Menace in 3D, so I'm a fan of seeing movies in on the big screen, because especially since that, the 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 format that the directory is actually aiming for right ideally yep. well i'm we got to see uh, clerks right we got to see clerks oh, at the Clerk, box, yeah, yeah. which is another yeah. one that i don't know many people have actually seen that on a screen right it was one of the biggest rentals of all time but like five people yeah. saw it in the theater yeah i don't think i think i thought no i think i thought once on the theater yeah you and i went right? yep george invited us invited us. yep yeah and like um yeah, I've seen. I saw the Alien 3D movie, like the or, or the Alien IMAX cut that they did. That was really kind of cool. And that you know, that scene. I mean, they're wearing hockey gloves for you no know, sake. You know, they're they're not really like the the special effects. They didn't go out with a huge budget. I mean, it was. I mean, it was done like what uh, a year or so after A New Hope, anyway, right? So, but it's still a great movie, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of seeing, and I've seen. Um, uh, Shaun of the Dead, I've seen it a couple of times. I saw it when it first came out in the theater, and it was an accidental viewing, right? I didn't even know who Edgar White was at the time. And then uh, when he did his own little mini film festival, I went and watched it again, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. And, and, of course, I saw the Michelle Yeoh movie we saw recently twice, right? So, I, I, I don't know. Would I go see this again? Hmm. I don't know about Marvel movies. I mean, Marvel movies are great in big theater, right? You know, with big sound and all that. Oh yeah, and and they, most of them are shot in I, in IMAX. So again, you get you get a little extra out of it too because you are getting a a larger version of the movie. Yeah, true, true, cool. All right, let's move on. Yeah, I'm gonna start uh, my my part of the news with some sad one. Uh, this uh, this this really bummed me out. So um, I had put in an article earlier this week in our notes saying uh, that. Uh, comic artist Tim Sale was hospitalized this week and um, you know lots of people were sort of you know hoping for the best but unfortunately uh, we got the news today that Tim passed away at the age of 66 um, they, they haven't said what the cause of death was but uh, I, you know sent sort of shockwaves this is 
unfortunately yet another uh gone too soon case for for these you know legendary crop of artists we've lost lately between tim and george perez and neil adams and you know it just seems like it's been coming in a way which is the worst thing ever um for those that aren't familiar with Tim's work, you 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 probably have seen it in a few different places. Uh, even if you're not a comic fan, the most mainstream thing that he's done was uh, he provided all of the art for the TV show Heroes that was on for oh, right, about yeah. four or five mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Uh, he, the the artist there was supposed to be the artist who could get uh, sort of precognitive visions and uh, sort of the one of the MacGuffins over the course of the first few seasons was that this precognitive artist. Uh, had done all this work and that that told the future and uh, Tim Sale drew all that work. Uh, he he was the he was the artist behind the artist. Uh, beyond that, you know, as, as a comic creator, his you know some just incredibly iconic work from you know Batman: The Long Halloween and of course its sequel, Dark Victory. Uh, he did you know the colors colors uh, uh, series for for Marvel with Jeff Loeb, uh, who of course he did the the Long Halloween with as well. But he did the uh, the super uh, he did the Spider Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, ba- uh, Captain America White and Hulk Gray, which were they're all these incredibly beautiful. Uh, sort of very emotional stories set within the lifetimes of these characters. Um, my personal comic collecting and comic reading history with Tim goes way, 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 way back into the eighties when uh, the first thing he ever worked on was uh, a comic book adaptation of uh, Robert Asprin's myth books. He, he was actually wow. uh, the background mm-hmm. artist and, and the inker on those books and I remember when he came on board with those, just seeing the quality of them go up, like just being really impressed with the work that he was doing there. And, and I followed his work into working for Dark Horse, working on the, the Grendel series and, and just, you know, my, you know, since, I, since I've been a teenager, he's been a sort of a constant uh you know, fan favorite as well as you know, just uh, somebody that I would seek out his his books because they're just such a unique style. It's it's not for everybody. It is a little, um, it's very inky. It's very sort of dark and heavy lines. But um, I just I love his work. Uh, he does this beautiful um, uh, wash. He does like the 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 um, watercolor wash on his pages and stuff like that sometimes. And it's just it's absolutely beautiful. If you ever get a chance to see, I have a couple of his art books as well. If you get a chance to see his uh, original art, it's it's absolutely breathtaking. He was a master of his craft, and uh, and it's yeah, it's just devastating to the community to lose yet another one of these incredibly talented people. So, yeah, farewell, Tim. That's man, what a what an absolute drag. Hmm. Um, but flipping from there into a little other comic news and comic art news, for that matter. Uh, so. A very rare piece of original art made it to the auction block this last couple of weeks. One of the most iconic pieces from the 20th century. It is the original painted cover for Batman The Dark Knight Returns number one. And again, even if you don't think you know it, you've probably seen it. It is simply Batman leaping across the sky with a lightning bolt coming down behind him. And it was just this very iconic, very 
stark but so poignant piece of art by Frank Miller when he did one of the first sort of deluxe format series in, in comics history and took a look at what the future of Batman might look like. And it's, it's this beautiful story, of course, where it's it's set in the future. Batman is an old man and and it's about him, you know, picking up his suit and putting it back on for the first time in decades. And, and it's gone on to be this incredibly uh, famous piece of work. It's considered one of the, you know, top 10 seminal pieces of, of, of comic literature. But this page, uh, I mean, again, pages like this don't come along very often. They're they're absolute, you know, guaranteed to sell for a ton of money. And so the question was, how much would it go for? The estimates had it coming in at around two million U.S. dollars. It did finally sell today at auction, uh, Heritage Auctions, for two point four million U.S. dollars. Um, and I've added into our show notes this piece from the New York Times, which I thought was wonderful of them to do uh, in, in time with this, because the first question out of your mind is, is, oh my God, that must be the most that's ever been paid for a piece of comic art. But it's sadly, it's not even close. Uh, they do have their sort of top original pieces of art here. Uh, the most, the, the high, well, so 2.4 is what they paid for this piece of work. And that actually ranks fourth all time for the most piece for a piece of art. The second, uh, the, the one above that in third place is from Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number eight. It is the, the last page of the book. It is the very first ever depiction of Spider-Man in his black and white costume. And that was by Michael Zeck and uh, back from you know, 1984. Uh, that sold for $3.3 million U.S. Uh Number two is uh, Hergé, the, the Belgian artist. Uh, it is the front cover of uh, Tintin, the Tintin for Americans. The, uh, the 1936 cover for the Blue Lotus sold for 3.9 million U.S. Wow. And the number one, I was actually surprised by this. I mean, it's an incredibly beautiful piece. It's called The Egyptian Queen, and it was a painting done by the legendary horror artist uh, Frank Frazetta. And it was done in 1969, and it was the cover of Erie Magazine number 23, and it sold in 2019 for $5.4 million. So if you don't think that people out there consider comic books a legitimate art form, I think you're, you're really not looking at it through the right lens, because there sure is a community out there that are treating these like they are valuable works by legitimate artists, because you know not every artist gets a piece of work sold for that in, in, uh, in their existence. So, oh, okay, yeah, cool, yeah. That, I'm familiar with that Egyptian uh, McQueen one. I've seen that one before for sure. Yeah, I mean, Frazetta's work is incredibly. I mean, he he has his own gal. Like, the one he's, he's obviously Frank's gone, but there's um, yeah, there's a whole gallery of his work. I think somewhere in the United States, I can't recall where, but uh, you know, he's mm. he is considered one of the, just the masters of of the craft, uh, sure. but much more like he wasn't really a comic book artist per se. He was an artist whose work appeared in comic books. Right. Um, you know, obviously Miller and, and uh, Michael Zeck and, and even Hergé are, are more, you know, sequential storytellers. Right. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. So if you're uh, if looking to dip into the market, I've got about uh, 20, 25 pieces here at that for the low price. I, I won't even charge you 2.4 million, 2 million. Even I'll sell you anything I got in my house. <laughs> 
Next up, so we know that uh, we're getting another season of Doctor Who, and now we've got another thing to look forward to in the uh, the upcoming season. So, Neil Patrick Harris, NPH himself, is going to be making an appearance on the uh, 60th anniversary season of Doctor Who next year and uh, they have not said what he's going to be but apparently he's previously worked with Russell T Davies who of course is coming back as the showrunner for the series after uh, working on it a number of years back and uh, that was enough to get uh, MPH to sign on board and and uh, join in I, I guess it's safe to assume that he'll be on an episode with uh, Kutikatwa as the as the new doctor but uh, yeah it's, it's pretty neat to uh, you know he's obviously he's quite a personality but he's also a wonderful character actor to to sort of slide in there it'll be interesting to see what they what they cook up for him mm-hmm. well we also know that uh, david tennant and and uh Madonna yeah are coming back for something is that i don't know if they're sure if it's special or, or yeah i mean like it wouldn't be it. surprising if there was a, a whole thing next year as i say it's the 60th anniversary so yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a whole thing i'm sure uh yeah Catherine tate i think is the thing you're official right, for there yeah. but yeah it's yeah. it's um yeah it seems like there's gonna be a, a a whole lot to celebrate next year when we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of doctor who okay, cool. little casting news this one i don't really know what to make of it yeah Apparently, Lady Gaga, according to uh, a bunch of different sources, including Entertainment Weekly, is in talks to uh, sign on to the sequel to the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie as Harley Quinn. Yeah. And according to this piece, it also might be a musical. <laughs> I've got a path to, to, to righteousness here that makes sense if I put this all together. Okay, bring it in, buddy. Bring it in. Okay, so I'm not going to deny that it's a little um, unorthodox, but when I heard, you know, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker with Lady Gaga and musical, I said, oh, well, if I was given, you know, that, that surprise box and they said, Lopez, you got to make a movie, I'd say, we're making Sweeney Todd, but Joker, right? Mm. So yeah. the Sweeney Todd okay. is Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a it's yeah. a play musical. I'm like, yeah, murders involved. I'm like, there you go. That's that's the way I make the movie. Okay. All right. I can see that. I just uh, I love the jokes that were going around the internet that day uh, around the socials with uh, you know my 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 Joker face. Uh, <laughs> it just too much. It just uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, again, I I I've admitted on a previous podcast I haven't watched that movie yet. Uh, it's it's on my long term to do list. I'm I'm sure there's enough there for me to enjoy the film. But uh, which the Joker? The Joker. I haven't seen the the Todd Phillips Joker movie. They also uh, seem to have a, a working title, which is Joker Folle à deux. Uh, two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Folly Party two. of two. Mm. Oh, Party of two. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure what that's hmm. about, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the last thing I've got this week is uh, just just today, just this evening, we got uh, the longer, slightly more straightforward trailer for Westworld season four. We had seen sort of a teaser trailer. It was much more just sort of atmospheric with music playing and just lots of vignettes of the characters. This one has a little more dialogue and seems to explain a little bit more plot. Although, as uh, as we were uh, chatting earlier, they... Westworld's such a strange show. It's certainly, you know, it, it's been a long break between seasons, three years. And then, you know, we 
you, you sort of look at this and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot that person was in this. Oh, where did we leave that person off at? I think, I think even even hardcore uh, nerds like us are going to need a, a brush up on this stuff, this stuff. I know Tim, you said you were you were rewatching it, but um, it's a cool looking trailer. But I, I must oh, admit, I'm finishing I was... it. I have. I'm not rewatching it. I haven't finished it. Yet. Oh, you hadn't watched it the first time. Oh, okay. No, I'm in the season three. I'm yeah, still yeah, yeah. On, stuck on set episode seven. So, can I? sort of giving my my two cents on this right now yeah go for it i don't know what it is about these kind of things like it, it's almost like um you know they they had a they had a good idea at first they started with a good idea and they did some really cool things with it and they had some sort of interesting ideas some nuggets some some you know some planted some seeds and that kind of stuff in the first season it was really kind of cool right and where it went with it and but it didn't explain a lot and it didn't seem that there was a lot that needed explaining in the first season right um, and then season two came along and it, and it's kind of like, I love the matrix, right? But I'm not in love with see the second and third episode. It just seems like they sat in the, it's like the writers went into the room and said, oh yeah, and now we should, we should have this and we can have this and we can get a Ferris wheel and we can have a roller coaster and we can have candy corn and maybe we have some fireworks, some fireworks in there. And, and, you know, there's gotta be some, a wrapper in the middle of the thing. Like it just, you know what I mean? Like just a circus idea of adding stuff to it and when i watch this trailer i look at it and i kind of go how far has that come from the original season when it was like a wild west you know fantasy land where you can go and live out your fantasies as a cowpoke you know and and you know be a gambler river boat gambler or be like a a lawman Mass or a gunslinger yeah a gunslinger whatever you could you could be a you know rapist and pillagist you know like <laughs> if that's what you were into right and and in fact uh, the who's the main character main actress um you know oh evan evan rachel wood you mean yeah evan rachel wood i heard her on a, on a show the other day and she was talking about how um and i just heard a snippet but she was talking about how her character actually started out as a bit player you know like sort of like uh like she wasn't. She had a main. She had a main theme in the first season, and but she was sort of like being, you know, sort of brought along. When she started out as the, you know, the damsel in distress, who oh no, don't kill my husband or father or whoever it was, and you know, she just kind of rolled over and whatever, and then she eventually came out of that cocoon, and you know, now she's like this kick-ass, you know, Matrix-type woman in in the current season, and it's kind of like. Like the scene where you, you, they pull away and there's this big giant, you know, sci-fi looking thing, tower, you know, where the Avengers have their headquarters and that kind of stuff. And it's like the, the plot line just grows exponentially away from where it originally, where the original nugget of the story started. And it's like enough already. Like, you know, yeah, I get it. You know, maybe they should have ended this at some point, maybe after season two, right? Cause season three, I still find I'm having a hard time getting through season three because it's a stretch, right? There's no more, no more horses, no more dust, no more, you know, gambling. There's no more, there's no more of the original idea behind it. It's other than the fact that these sentient beings have now, you know, escaped the bonds of their, of their little fantasy world. Now they're running around in the real world kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because I think when I put it through the same prism that you treat something like the walking dead with, where The Walking Dead isn't about the crisis, it's about how things spin from there. If you look at the first bit of Westworld as sort of that establishing, this is, you know, what what these synthetic life forms are, 
and this is how they're treated, and then it sort of evolves. Also, a story from about there. the mysterious founders, right? It's also a story about the mysterious founders, like the two yeah. guys that started the thing, and where are they, and who are they now, and what happened mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, it turns. I think one of them turns out to be Ed Harris or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, the, the whole appeal of the series from the beginning till the end of the third season, I'm sure it'll carry into the four seasons. That it's a puzzle, right? The whole thing is. There's all these layers to the mystery. Sometimes it's a very gratifying payoff. Sometimes it's kind of a not as gratifying payoff. Um, I enjoyed parts of season three. I don't think it was as strong as the earlier ones. But I do feel like they're trying really hard to do something unique. And I feel like I'm there for that. I do wonder, I think you have a fair point, Tim. I wonder how long they can sort of sustain this. Like, is I haven't heard, is this going to be the last season? Or are we going to do more? Or, but I, I really do wonder if they can sustain, as they continue to push away from what they started with, can they sustain it? And I, I'm not sure that they can. What about you, Emmy? I know you watched season three as well. Yeah, um, I, I think I liked season three better than a lot of people online did. And maybe it's because I was like, oh, okay, season two's, felt like a sophomore slump to me and i felt like they were going somewhere new with with three um and maybe i was more forgiving so for for this i'm like okay can they can they take where they were going in three of like okay forget the park the park isn't a big deal anymore the the whole world is their playground sort of thing like can they can they make that continue to make sense given how few hosts there are in the in the real world um, there is the scene in the trailer where there's a lot of people just paused around Aaron Paul, which, unless he's in a simulation, makes it feel like there are a lot of hosts that they've been mass producing out in the real world. Mm. I don't know what's happening there, but that is one interpretation. Oh, okay, well, if they were able to mass produce an army, uh, it becomes more plausible that they might be able to, like, Skynet Terminator their way around the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that was kind of the fun of, of season three is now that we're on the outside, who are our familiar characters, who are characters in different bodies? There was a real sort of mystery to the, the third season I thought worked in a lot of ways because you weren't really sure who you were dealing with and what they were hiding. Again, it's it's the mystery, right? That's appealing. Yeah. I mean, I like I like the sort of idea that they, they had. I think it was in season two or even season one where the main character um, wanted to get back to find out what happened to her daughter. And then it turns out that that was an implanted memory. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there isn't really a daughter. It's just something that, that somebody wrote in who designed the park or whatever. Um, those kind of, that kind of, those kind of things are, are interesting because, you know, we empathize with the character and want her to get back to her daughter. And then where we find out that along with her, that there isn't really a daughter. I like the episode where she escapes, right? And gets on the train and she's about to leave and she gets like, you know, three miles away from the place and realizes, I don't know, maybe her battery starts to run down or she's not getting a good Wi-Fi signal, but she decides to go back, mm-hmm. you know, because she can't, she can't fathom the idea of being away from this environment. And kind I of think even though her whole uh, drive is to get away from there, I mean, that, that's kind of, kind of interesting thing, you know? And, um, so, I mean, it has, a, it has a lot of potential. I just, I just, I worry that they're just trying to throw too many, you know, like the Ferris wheel and, and, you know, the, the hamster wheel and, you know, we need to get a, a juggler in there just to make it because you need to have to juggler right sort of idea <laughs> yeah you know yeah. that is the one thing i did i did kind of feel by the time we've 
it's an amazing cast. Like, I mean, you got Rachel Wood, you got Soundway, Newton, Ed Harris, Jeffrey Wright, Tessa Thompson, Aaron Paul. Like, it's ridiculous. James Marsden. Like, it's it's insane how many good people there are in this show. But it is also starting to feel a little like there's so many people that it's hard to sort of track all their stories. It's hard to keep track of. And then some of the characters are actually... You know, they're the synthetic life forms and some of them are people in disguise and some people are in different bodies and you're trying to remember who's who. It does start to get a little convoluted, especially because they do take really big gaps. They have since the beginning taken really big gaps between the seasons. So it's not like they're sort of pumping it out every 12 months where you can sort of stay on top of it a little bit better. You really do have to have to go watch those recaps and sort of stay on top of it or, or you, you could get yeah. lost pretty fast. That being said, I, I'm totally going to watch this. Like it's 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 an eminently watchable show. It's beautifully made. Uh, mm-hmm. The sets, the production, the quality. Again, the performances. Like it's 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 HBO, baby. It's got robots in it too. Yeah, and pew pew robot and pew pew robots and pew pew. Right. How many over to you for some more pew pew? Yeah, given Tim talking about the uh, Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus. Actually, no, I talked about that in the after show. <laughs> well, you've you've, you've talked about it in sort of general terms in other other media, or possibly on oh, the show. Okay. I can't yeah. remember if it was a more than just code or if it, it was, was more than here. just code. I talked about it on yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, muddying the waters because who knows with these sorts of things how they work for non-U.S. market. But Apple apparently has struck a deal with Major League Soccer, so MLS will um, will be streamed by Apple for the next ten years, uh, starting in two thousand twenty-three. And it's something we have to talk about sort of step by step because it's a little confusing given the way it's been presented. So it's not part of Apple TV Plus per se, at least not traditionally. So there is a new upcoming, currently unnamed streaming service for the MLS, similar to the way a lot of other sports leagues have a streaming service. But that will be exclusively available through the Apple TV app. Right. That's the that's the first part. New streaming service exclusively available through the Apple TV app. So hopefully folks are with us here. There will also be stuff that's available to Apple TV plus subscribers, a quote, broad selection of MLS and Lee's Cup matches. So you'll get a handful of things for free as an Apple TV plus subscriber, even though you're not necessarily subscribed to the new MLS streaming service. If you're a full season tickle holder, you also get access to this new streaming service. And there will be some selection of games similar to, you know, Friday Night Baseball doesn't have every possible team. There's only a handful of games each week, uh, two games, I believe it is, each week available for free without even a subscription. I think that's what they're doing there. One of the key things here that is is unique, uh, as far as I can know, in any sports streaming service is that there are no local blackouts or restrictions. So it doesn't matter how many people went to the local game in Toronto, doesn't it? How many people went to a local game in Seattle? You literally don't need to care even if you are, you know, in in a apartment or condo right across the street from the stadium. So can you explain to me what, like, what is Major League Soccer? I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know much. I don't follow much sports ball as it is. But, um, like, what is the difference between Major League Soccer and FIFA, for example? Like, why, why, why would I care? Like, is this like the Toronto um, team that plays in this league? Yes. Or the, okay. And who else is in this? Is it like an, a sort of a mini? Is it like the WHA kind of thing? Is it an offshoot of real soccer? It, it's basically it is the highest level of competitive soccer in North America. Therefore, it's about the ninth best league in the world. Yeah, I said it. I uh, it it is 
if you're a soccer fan, it's the best you're going to get on this side of the ocean. It, if you compare it to insert any European league here, it's, it's not quite as high caliber. We tend to get uh, a lot of Canadian, American, Mexican, South American players. And then we get a lot of European players who are just looking to cash a paycheck for, for that league. It, it can produce some nice soccer, but then you watch uh, European leagues or Champions League, uh, the UEFA Champions League, or you even watch, frankly, if you watch, you know, go down to like the Mexican League and some of the South American leagues. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's the best we've got. Jaime, I'm sure you disagree because I know you're a Sounders fan, but that's, I, I just honestly, I, I've tried watching MLS uh, and we've been lucky to have a competitive team in Toronto from time to time, but. Once you've watched, you know, the UEFA leagues and some of the other leagues in the world, and then, you know, heaven forbid you watch the UEFA Euro Cup or, or World Cup, you realize that the caliber of soccer is it's only okay. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment, given that it sits in a weird spot, Tim. So when it comes to uh, Major League Baseball, you know, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, all of the best players in the world play for teams in the USA or North America, right? MLS is kind of the weird outsider in that it has been growing, it has been getting better for decades, but didn't start out as the sort of premier place to be, uh, probably given because it's been a journey for the world's game to really start making headway in the US, right? So um, in terms of the the quality of competition i think jonathan's right like w- what you'll normally see is people who get just a little too old for um something like uh, the epl will will come over and be uh, a star player for somebody like the la galaxy or the seattle sounders or something so it's, yeah it, toronto toronto had like a guy who was a bit of a washout in the italian league and came over here and was one of the best players in mls he was undersized and he, you know, he, he could kind of scratch the surface of the Italian national teams, go sit on the bench, but it gives you an idea of how good the caliber of soccer is in some of those leagues when, yeah, like the, the, the 14th guy on those teams comes over here and is, is often the best guy on our teams. Yeah. So that's probably why Apple was able to get the no blackouts and no restrictions kind of thing, because MLS isn't starting from a, um, superior negotiating position with somebody like Apple, right? This, this isn't the NFL who wants to divvy up the rights as much as possible. Um, and according to, to people who claim, and it looks like it's the Sports Business Journal reporting that supposedly Apple is paying a minimum of $250 million per year to the MLS I think it's I think it's a win-win. I mean, the league needs Apple. Apple needs the league. They both need to build credibility in, in certain markets, and I think it's good for both of them. That being said, I hope that with that infusion of cash, because it's also a very different league in that it's not like a traditional North American sports league. The teams are not separately owned franchises of a, a league where the owners have the say the the teams are owned by independent independent entities but they're they're all under the umbrella of MLS major league soccer the league owns the teams so they do weird things like the league will basically agree to sell a player to a european league and sell them out from under the the teams which is kind of unusual yeah yeah it it, it is weird and i am hoping that 
the partnership here can provide a superior fan experience that maybe maybe begins you know dislodging the 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 many greedy paws that have been on other uh you know sports leagues streaming and and eventually get us to be able to cut the cord from the cable providers like as an example as an example so i thought oh okay i don't have root sports here um in the northwest because i don't subscribe to uh to cable tv with comcast and said hmm still want to watch the mariners what should i do here let me get mlb tv you can watch every game right you can't if you're sitting in the market where root sports is for the mariners so i would have a better mariners experience if i was just a little bit further away from seattle which is is dumb it's like okay i paid 100 bucks for this let me go figure out how to cancel and get my money back yeah, it's a strange, the way they do those blackouts, and I know they do them for other sports too, but the way they do those things is always a little confounding where it's like, you know, I get that they want people at the ballparks, but I'm not sure that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and I think I wouldn't be so upset about it if it was a seamless part of the onboarding experience, right? They should have said, hey, great, you want to watch MLB TV? Obviously, unless you're like super deep into every team, you're probably going to watch one or two teams, right? Which teams do you want to watch? I want to watch the Seattle Mariners. Okay. Unfortunately, you won't be able to watch any of these games live because of where you happen to sit. (laughs) And then I go to say, okay, I guess I won't sign up, right? It would have been a more positive experience than signing up and wondering, hey, why are all these blocked? And then having to go (laughs) figure out how to get my money back. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think we should move on to the real purpose of this show, which is to talk about something Star Trek related and possibly some Miss Marvel and maybe some Obi-Wan Kenobi later on in the show. So I'll dig in. I'll, I'll go first. I'll talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I think this is episode seven, correct? Yep. Season one, episode seven, The Serene Squall. And uh, interestingly, it starts with a recap of talking about T'Pring and Spock's relationship. They throw a little bit of Nurse Chapel in there being, you know, teased by Spock's ability to to survive a lot of pain and also, you know, uh, toying with him and and being, you know, sort of the the girlfriend advisor to him about, you know, relationships and stuff. And we also get a, a reminder that Pike likes to cook. So these are all things that become important in the show. And we start off in on, um, and Ken, I can I can start again. And and I can say it in my head. Ankenshin to pill Vulcan Criminal Rehab Center. Not not what it says on the tin, but that's what I'm calling it, the rehab center. And I don't know why they have to tell us the third moon of Omnicrom Lyrie. Like I guess maybe on a podcast we'll argue about that fact. <laughs> and uh, it says Turin's log here, by the way. So to Pring's log, personal log nine one nine nine seven point nine. So. Before we go too far in this, I want to discuss the real, the distortion of time and space as you travel through Federation space, because th- three episodes ago, it was security officers log stardate 3177 Mark 3. Episode 2 was cadets log 2912.4. And then the first episode was captain's log 1943.7. So what is going on? Like, I get that captain's log and Tapring's log are sort of chronologically in order but are we meant to think that these guys are bouncing around because the story does have definite developments from like character um, development that that sort of dovetail together like serially right but why are we why do we bounce around in different star dates i don't understand 
you think it's the whole relativity of travel, relativity of traveling around space and time runs on different lines and stuff? Theories, thoughts? Nothing. Okay. Yeah, I, don't really I, have I mean, much. I, I thought they were just <laughs> making random stuff up and had no particular um, scheme in the original series era. I know it's not true for TNG. Oh yeah, they, that's true. In the original series era, they weren't necessarily meant to be. They weren't the adventures weren't necessarily meant to be in in order. In fact, uh, I don't think they. You know, they were all written by different writers. So who knew, right? Yeah, they weren't meant to be chronological. I think it's hard. It's hard to say whether we're supposed to take these. I mean, it's funny because the recaps are doing recaps to show you things that happened in previous episodes. So clearly, there is a chronology to the episodes in the order they're showing them to you. So having that out of sequence is certainly incongruous to that. But. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's supposed to do with the fact that, you know, at times they're further away from temporally. I, I couldn't even say. I couldn't, couldn't even begin to theorize where that comes from. But uh, good note. Good note. Sounds like, like, like well, security officer Lon's lo- uh, log at, at 3177 Mark III. I'm sure that falls into the, the original series timeline, right? So I'm sure that I mean, we can probably go online and, and track, track this for next week or whatever. But I was just curious as to why the numbers keep moving up and down. Whatever. Anyway, so back on Tapring's log, she's talking about how she's, uh, you know, how she has to, you know, dealing with the the rehabilitation of Vulcan thieves and murderers is not an easy task. And, you know, another thing that she's been doing on the side is trying to figure out how to spice up her relationship with Spock using her human term. And she's been studying um, human sexuality, at which point when she tells Spock this, he almost chokes on his drink. And, and uh, what? <laughs> you know, um... Yeah, so she tells him you've been studying human sexuality, and, and she feels that it's her job, since he's half human, half Vulcan, it's her job as the full Vulcan to understand what makes him him sort of thing. Um, and, you know, of course, so Spock immediately runs to Nurse Chapel and says, you know, what is this about? What, like, you know, this, what, this is the note she passed me in class. I'm not sure what to do with it, right? Um, so Chapel and Chapel's talking to, to Spock about the, the current mission and about how um, what does he think about Dr. Aspirin and all kinds of other things? And she realizes that he's not listening to her because she talked about having the doctor having razor blades for, for on her palms and doesn't get a rise out of, out of Bach, at which point he tells her that he's distracted because, you know, this, this dialogue that uh, Tpring has brought into him. And so, you know, and she sort of says, you, are you trying to tell me your girlfriend's moving too fast? And uh, so, which is generally what, what he's trying to say. And then, uh, and she says, by the way, a little bit of advice next time, listen to me and make sure that, you know, you're paying attention. He goes, yes, cause you're charming. And I'm, you're obviously, I'm obviously missing that point. And so then here we go. So then we see Dr. Dr. Aspen in the, um, in the ready room talking to Pike and Una and then Mega about, uh, these missing colonists that she's concerned about. And they've been missing for 26 days, and you know they're they're on the outs they're out of Federation space, which you know I don't know if she knows this or not, but she she's sort of pleading with them to help to help uh, uh, because you know Pike's got a reputation as the Boy Scout, and Boy Scout who me Boy Scout, <laughs> <clears throat> which at which point Una points out it is in your file, Chris, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so the so the 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 tease here she goes through you know she's obviously appealing to the boy scout to go off into federation space you know without a permission and and uh at the risk of getting scolded by um federation the federation itself starfleet i guess um that you know come and help me rescue these things and, and that's why i came to you and he goes well you know this outside of the the uh known federation space is considered the wild wild west and so there's there's a big chance and and 
Aspen tells him that she's afraid that this again, this pirate ship, the Serene Skull, um, is is behind the the kidnapping of the colonists, and and you know um, tells she tells him to steer clear of of them because you know they're pirates and they're bad guys, and they're, they're of course. I guess playing a little reverse psychology on the Boy Scout, getting him to get all riled up and, and decide he wants to go in there. And he asks her at the same time, like, hey, well, you, I heard you used to be like a counselor on Starbase 12 or something. And why did you change to be this, you know, this sort of um, missionary sort of person kind of thing? And um, she says, well, you know, I, I realize that, you know, the, the people that get help at the Federation are only are within the Federation. So I decided I need to, you know, go outside of the Federation and help uh, help people beyond that, right? So she gives them some coordinates, whatever. They arrive at the coordinates, and it's it's like uh, when um, the Millennium Falcon arrives at, at Alderaan, the whole everything's been destroyed. And I'm not sure if that was a planet or whatever that was broken, blown up, but there was no signs of the ship, and everything's destroyed in that area, and they they couldn't find a ship or whatever. And uh, so Aspen says, "Well, obviously they've been taken 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 prisoner, and they're like being held hostage and that kind of stuff." And um, so, you know, Pike says to Spock, uh, Spock, how long would it take us to get a message to get per- permission from, um, from, Fed- from, the Fed- from Starfleet to go into this place? And, and Spock says, two days. And he goes, well, set a course and set some beacons up and send a message to saying, hey, we'd like to go into Federation space, but don't wait for the answer, obviously. And we'll drop some, some uh, beacons to, to relay and uh, relay the, the comm so they can continue to stay in communication with Federation Space, right, kind of thing. Or with Starfleet. And um, yeah, we're going to find those colonists before they're sold off to the, whoever they, the people are going to sell them off to as as human cargo, kind of like slave trade kind of thing deal, right? Um, so, you know, Spock's walking down the hallway and he hears some house music coming from one of the rooms as he's getting closer to it and, and it's uh, Dr. Aspen's room and she's all, you know, hot and sweaty because she's been, you know, working out, she tells Spock and, and uh, so I, you know, I, and there's sort of a uh, a play that's going on between Spock because she seems to be pretty flirty with him. She's very uh, throughout the episode, she's watching him closely, kind of thing, and it's it's almost like, and based on what they were talking about with the, with you know with the relationship with Christine Chapel and and Tpring and the trouble that Spock has, sort of finding his way and who he is and all that kind of stuff. Um, this person seems to be like you know kind of curious about it and 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 watching him as he as he reacts to things and getting flirty with him in, in the elevator as they're going up to the, to the, the in a turbo lift going up to the, uh, the bridge. And, uh, you know, she's trying to put on a necklace and she kind of just holds it up to Spock to help her with the necklace, which clearly he snaps together with a couple of magnets. So I don't understand why she was having trouble doing that. It just seemed to be a way of getting his attention. Um, and then, uh, you know, so she talks to him about the colonar, which is, which is the, the Vulcan, um, exercise of getting rid getting to know yourself and getting rid of your emotions purging them from your system kind of thing and and spock says yes i'm looking forward to mine and she says oh interesting you haven't you haven't snipped your emotions yet so another reason to sort of continue on this course of playing playing with his emotions as it were right and um, and don't don't gloss over that we got to actually see that right because he that's what he's going through at the beginning of uh of the star trek the motion picture that's him doing yes, his colonar true Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, because he never got around to it because he left for first Starfleet before he got a chance mm-hmm. to do it, right? Um, so and so they get they arrive there and and uh, the uh, they start to explore and and um, Pike tells uh, Ortega to to move in close closer and and she says how close like first date close or third date close <laughs> and he goes blind date close. She goes okay, proceeding with caution, kind of thing, right? 
And as they're going there, they, they immediately, they, they, all of a sudden, this net, this laser net uh, appears around them. And it reminded me of the Tholian web. Yeah. Yeah, Tholian web episode, right? And uh, so interesting, though, um, it, of course, you know, as you know, when I, when I make my notes, I always watch the episode and then I go back and make my notes. So I knew the ending of the thing before it, when I went back to do the notes. And, and um, I don't, I'm curious, John, did you notice that as you were watching the show, did you notice how closely Aspen was watching and feeding them information? Oh, she was the bad guy from the second she walked on the screen. I mean, come on. You think? Oh, okay. God. Right. Oh, my God. Never trust a woman right. with a facial tattoo. Come on. That's rule, oh, that's yeah, rule yeah. number one. <laughs> uh, rule number one, yes. Yeah, I wondered about that. I didn't have a facial, facial tattoo, but um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of weird, too. And and uh, anyway, so, um, of course, she has the answers, and she's like, you know, well, I think, you know, if we, if we don't you think if we found the the one that has the strongest signal, we can figure out which is the main one and we can take that one out and take the whole web down because they, they can't drive through the web. They've decided they're going to blow up or get chopped in half if they do. They've obviously seen, the you know, season three of the uh, of the boys, right? So you don't go through those. Or, or the Obi-Wan Kenobi fight with the uh, the Stormtrooper falls through the laser beam. Oh, yes, that's true. That was another one, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they can't do that. So uh, so they do, they do have to figure out, of course, you know, it, Basically, Aspen is telling them how to escape from this 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 thing. Um, the two of them, so they find that two of them, in fact, have a strong signal, and so now you know Spock has to and Pike says make a guess, and which of course you know Spock can't can't do like it's not within his nature to make a guess, right? And go with your gut, they tell him, and so he just arbitrarily picks one. He's obviously stressed about picking it up, and and uh, luckily he got the right one, and it blows up the the, the web comes down and. You know, uh, Pike says, good hunch, and off they go, pat him on the back kind of thing. Um, and it's interesting because that's when I noticed that Aspen was really watching Spock's reactions to everything she was telling him and kind of seeing how he reacts to these things, right? Um, and later on, she, kind of, she comes to his chambers and she tells him she's come come to help him, you know, as opposed to, he's, how can I help you? No, no, I'm here to help you. Um, and she knows he's talking about his Vulcan heritage and how he's half human. She says, well, that's just genetics. And he says, well, but I was raised on Vulcan. She says, that's just geography. Um, and, uh, you know, tell us about this. And this is, I've heard this theory before where we, we, pace, we, we tend to make boxes for things and we put things into boxes because that's how we humans, humans in general, I don't know how Vulcans do it, but humans in general tend to categorize things. It's how we sort out life and universe and everything is by, by putting things into nice little boxes and, she explains that that's, you know, as she puts on her counselor voice and, you know, that's, that's not, that's what you are, but not who you are. That we have to figure out, right? So anyway, we go back to the bridge and you see or- Ortega's got her hand, you know, sort of almost inside the, the panel on the deck as she's flying carefully through this, this debris. And, uh, you know, Pike's like, hey, you know, if you need a break, we can get somebody else to do it. She says, no, no, I love flying manually, love, love doing this kind of stuff. It's like the ship and I are having a, a deep conversation kind of thing, like a third date kind of thing. Um, so they do, they do come across a colonial ship, and the they, they sensors pick up 200 people sort of in one area, and, and the doors are locked, and there's 30 other people milling around. And so they, they, de- they determine that those 20 people must be in the brig, and... and uh, the 30 people are the boarding party that have taken over the ship, right? So they decide, you know, they're going to do an away party thing, and uh, Lon and uh, Pike and a few other people uh, go over with heavy weapons, you know, like they're wearing black, you know, outfits and stuff like that. And, um, and uh, Una says as they're getting into the transporter, like, now who's playing fast and loose with the rules here, Pike? And he goes, who, me, the Boy Scout? Kind of thing. 
Um, anyway, so, okay, we have to talk about this. This is the second time I've seen this in a show, right? They get there, they're in a dark environment, right? And the first thing he says to him, to, to everybody there, like, they've got their weapons drawn, turn your lights on. <laughs> what? Make sure you put on the audience can see. Make sure you put on the red lights that make the target in the middle of your chest. Exactly. Like, is this so the audience can see the actor's face? Because I mean, a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever noticed this in, in sci-fi movies, they they have like space space helmet, and the light when they turn the lights on, it illuminates the uh, the actor's face. It doesn't illuminate the surroundings, which would make them. it impossible to see. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing with when when you see driving scenes in cars where they the dashboard is illuminating the people in the car. Yeah. Again, like, you cannot drive like that. No. I don't know about you, but... No. Anyway, it's so an friendly W thing, Tim. Yeah, I want to scream every time I see somebody like Iron Man. I'm like, why does he keep taking the helmet off? No, take the helmet off, no matter how convenient yeah, it is. Yeah. Keep that thing on at all times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I've got in my notes here, lights, WTF, question mark. <laughs> all right. So they get there, and of course, there's no prisoners. And I just hear Admiral Akbar going, "It's a trap!" Um, yeah. So of course, it's a trap. And and uh, we flip we flip back to uh, to the ship, and Nurse Chapel's walking along, and and uh, she sees a couple of invaders running through the ship, and so she she hides. She she scurries up a Jeffrey's tube. Okay, it's the first time we've seen Jeffrey's tube in the show too, which is kind of cool. Where Spocky, Scotty used to go and pick all kinds of amazing things, right? So. Back on the on the ship, Pike and the landing crew are surrounded by a bunch of bunch of like you know people with guns drawn and weapons drawn, and, and of course there's no comms, and so they have to sort of drop their weapons and and surrender. So in the meantime, uh, Una and uh, Spock realize that as they were beaming the people on the, the landing party onto the ship, the, at the same time a landing party was beamed onto the Enterprise, and so. Una immediately says, uh, you know, invokes M- Omega Beta 9 and locks out the ship's controls to to basically prevent uh, the ship from being taken over by hostile people. And then there's lots of pew-pew and neck-pinching and, and Spock hurling people around and, and meanwhile also protecting Dr. Uh, Doctor Aspen. But yeah, lots of, lots of really cool uh, neck-pinches. Uh, and, and it's funny because I don't remember, uh, I think I remember when Spock did came up with a neck-pinch in the original series as a way to get around a particular uh, situation where Spock had to fight somebody, right? And and Leonard Nimoy says, well, Spock wouldn't fight. He would, you know, there must be something he could do. And that's when they came up with the neck pinch. I don't know if they could do that. But, so, but this is interesting to see him just, you know, randomly neck pinching people. And at one point when he picks up the guy and throws him across the bridge, right? That was kind of funny. But, um, and of course, you know, people being shot and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, uh, as the, as Spock is trying to get Aspen off the ship to the turbo lift, uh, or off the bridge to the turbo lift, um, there's a shot that fires and she gets hit in the shoulder and, and they, they end up in the, as the doors close, they, they escape the, the, the thing. And then we see, I'm calling him Rubber Boot Orion. Um, <laughs> Remy. Walking through, running, Remy, he's walking through the puddles in, to talk to, to Pike and he says to him, he snaps his face and says, welcome to the Serene Squall. And of course we've Flip back to, and this must be a commercial insert because uh, way we go back to the ship. So uh, Spock is busy taking Aspen, Dr. Aspen, to the sick bay, and don't worry, we'll get you to the sick bay. And I don't think she was looked worried to me. I don't know about you guys, but um, so they happen to see that the bridge crew has been captured, and Una and him, you know, make uh, make eye contact. And I don't know if she didn't quite, to me, like make a just sort of yes, I see you kind of was the vibe I got from her. Nothing like don't attack or don't whatever. Or, 
Yeah, I think it was free. it was pretty unspoken. She was, you know, she was sort of telegraphing, stay go free. away, don't, don't. Yeah, stay free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't interfere, right? So, the question now at this point, um, uh, Aspen's like, let's hide, let's run away, let's get her out of here. So they, they, they scurry up the Jesper's tube and away we go. And then we back on back on the ship, the, the uh, Pike has been on his knees and he's busily having his face punched by an alien as, as uh, Remy's talking to him about, uh, you know, I need the codes to unlock the ship so we can take the ship and go off gallivanting around the, you know, non-Federation space and things like that, right? And, you know, you know, I'm going to sell the ship and get lots of money for it and that kind of stuff. And and uh, at one point he throws his food, or the the oatmeal or whatever he's rule he's cooking, throws it in, in Pike's face. I don't understand the context of that, but Pike's like, oh my God, you eat that? That's horrible. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he goes, yeah, but the crew loves my food. And he goes, well, do they really? And and of course, you know, you see the the lady that's beside him, one of the one of the crew people. Uh, kind of like wince and roll her eyes and and uh, so of course you know Pike sees this as, as an in and starts talking back. He says, "Well, you know, like I think you know your your crew probably wants a great meal and and I'm an amazing cook. I can you know cook them a proper meal and you know and uh, Remy's like, no, no, I just want the codes from you. Stop trying, stop trying to get between, me. stop trying to you know like avoid the the subject here and and uh, the the uh, Lady crewman says, or Lady Pirate says, you know, maybe maybe we should, we could let him cook and have you know give us give us some food to eat and you know. So in other words, Pike is working his way in between them, kind of thing idea, right? Anyway, so he says kitchen. So and then we fade out, and uh, so now Nurse Chapel is, is uh, runs up to she's like avoiding the uh, be, avoiding being captured, and she runs up to a panel and starts you know uh, tapping away at it, trying. I send an SOS, and she's like, I can't send an SOS, I'm locked out, kind of thing, and um, she gets captured by a couple of baddies, and uh, they, they hold it, and you're, you're a nurse, drop your weapon, and she doesn't, doesn't have any weapons, and I don't have any weapons, I'm just a nurse, I'm just a, you know, innocent, you know, can't be whatever, and she realizes she's got her hypospray tucked up her arm, and which is where I keep my hypospray, I don't know about you guys, but um, in her sleeve, and nothing up my sleeve except my hyperspray. So she grabs the hyperspray, and, and and I guess very quickly she must be really good with it. She sets it to sedate them, and she manages to sedate the first guy, and then she struggles with the second guy and sedates him, and so they're basically knocked out conscious, and, and then she can she can evade capture, as it were. Um, so anyway, so now Pike is you know busy cooking for the pirates, and he's he's working Remy, and he's kind of talking to him about you know trying to get him to break him down a bit right and uh and he's like you know it, it it seems edible and he goes well they really seem to like it and so I, I, pike is kind of working himself to to be in, in favor with the crew kind of thing right and uh toying with their emotions if i could say that right um and you <laughs> he said you know you shouldn't be taking lip off the crew like that you know like you know you know and then he explains to them the federation doesn't care what happens you know out here in, in no man's land kind of thing and uh, but you've taken their sh- their main ship, and they're not going to like that. They're going to come after you, and you know. And then he goes, "Well, we'll we'll take the ship and we'll sell it to someone else." And he goes, "Well, the Federation is just going to come after them." And you know, then he goes, "Well, I'll take them to Klingons, and uh, and I'll I'll sell them to Klingons." And Pike's like, uh, "Well, I don't. I think the, the Klingons will want to deal with you." And and um, so he's uh, so he's sort of psych talking to the to Remy to try and break him down a bit. Um, so back in the back in the sick bay. Uh, Spock is saying to Dr. Aspen, it's a good thing the, the phaser was only set to stun. I don't know about you, but I'm a raiding party and I'm taking over a ship. Am I putting my phaser in stun or am I putting my phaser in kill? Well, hmm. 
but then in a few words from now, you're going to explain why maybe there was a stun setting when they were pointing it at Dr. Aspen. Yes, well, that in particular. Well, again, I I know how it ends, but as we're watching this, kind of like, you know, the, the sell point that she says is that, you know, they want to keep us alive so they can trade us as as, mm-hmm. the, as a fodder for the slave trade, right? She's like, she keeps, keeps saying, like, let's escape, let's get out of here, let's, you know, let's run away into the Kesbar, and of course, uh, Spock is like, that's not an option, we can't let them have this ship, it's, you know, too too valuable to the Federation for them, to, and too valuable, too dangerous a ship for, for pirates to be running around on. Um, and he sort of says to her, you know, like, and she's like, you know, he, she says a few things, and he's, he, he responds, responds to her, you seem to be knowing more about these people than you let on when you first told us about them, right? Well, my husband was killed by them, and, you know, um, you know, turned out he was a Vulcan and he skipped his colonar too. So, you know, he, you know, he had proper emotions and proper, and he knew how to deal with all that kind of stuff. And which reminded me of somebody. Hmm. Anyway, um, she's like, we need to abandon ship. We need to get out of here. And he's like, well, no, no, we can't do that. And, and he goes, well, you know, we can go down to engineering and we can override the, the lockout. She's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Um, and he, he goes and gets a couple of phasers and hands her one. She's like, oh, no, no, I can't help possibly handle a gun. And, He's like, oh no, you're you're gonna have to now because you know we're we're under under siege as it were, right? So Pike gets thrown into the cage with his crew, and and uh, he says to them, "Hey guys, how's it going? I've convinced them to sell us to the Klingons." And uh, Una starts to laugh and says, "No, you didn't." And he goes, "Yes, I did." And he goes, she said, "No, we're not not Alpha Brago Four, and yes, Alpha Brago Four, which is you know." And she says to the crew, "We're we're getting them to start a mutiny." So that's the plan. And um, anyway, they, Spock and, and uh, Aspen arrive in the in the engineering area. They hear the computer saying over and over again, access denied, access denied. And so they come around the corner with their phasers drawn, and it turns out it's Christine Chapel trying to, you know, get into the panel and hack the panel so she can do that. And, of course, there's all these sedated pirates around the around engineering because she's managed to sedate them all as she, gets, she got to the control panel. So Spock walks up to the, the, logically, Spock walks up to the panel and unlocks it and, you know, frees the controls and sets uh, Chapel to access the comms and sets uh, Aspen to start working on the uh, on the phasers, which, of course, she knows how to do because she's, I don't know, she was in the Federation at one point, I don't know. And, uh, the, you know, seal the doors kind of thing. And then uh, Nurse Chapel says, uh, hang on a second, the doors are no longer sealed. They've unsealed themselves. And then at which point, Aspen grabs both phasers and points them at them and explains that she's not Dr. Aspen. She's, in fact, Captain Angel, and she now has control of the ship, thanks to Mr. Schmock and his logical approach to things, right? And he's like, you know, that was quite a thorough de- deception you put there. And she's, yeah, and, and you know, what about, the col- what about the colonists? Oh, they were imaginary colonists. I just, you know, I just told you that. And, and it's basically on you guys that you believed me that, that this was the thing. And so she sits down in the chair, and then she says, fire the phasers. And so they fire the phases off into blank space and just see what happens, you know? And uh, she explains to uh, Chapel and, and Spock, who are now on the bridge with her, that she didn't come here for the Enterprise. She came here for Mr. Spock. And um, at which point we go back to the planet where T'Pring is, on, is and, and Stan comes up and says, uh, there's a phone call for you here. So uh, so uh, T'Pring says, thank you very much, and goes off. And of course, we know who Stan is. Stan is the, the guy that she turns on Spock for, right? Uh, on the in the original series. Yep. Anyway, so Aspirin tells T'Pring on the, when she calls and says, "I have Spock and I'm holding him hostage, and I need you to trade for one of your prisoners, my friend Zaverius. 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 Uh, yeah. Zaverius. Zaverius. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I need to trade for him. I, I and I can't possibly do that. She says I'll lose my job and I'll get you know bring shade to my family and I'll get you know I'll, I'll you know get kicked out and as well you know by your sacred bond with Mister Spock you're responsible for him too. So what what are you going to tell them if they're you let their favorite son die kind of thing right? And Vulcan's favorite son. So you know Turing obviously has no no and Spock's like she won't comply and she won't do it and and um, Ashman's convinced that she will comply and she will do this because you know and you know she it's not logical for that because logic has nothing to do with it emotions because i've been i've been using emotions in on you all day to sway you sway you all day and, to, and you've done what i wanted you to do in in fact right and then so finally we're back on the on the sh- the uh the captured ship and, and pike is talking to the the black pirate lady and she said he says you think Remy has what it takes to, to make the deal with the, with the Klingons? And he's actually talking to Una while the other lady's overhearing. And uh, I guess they have to do what he says. And, you know, he's the captain. And the, the black pirate says, he's not the captain, you know. And, and uh, he goes, well, you know, if you, you know, he, he, can't, he can't have many friends with the way he cooks. Why don't you, uh, why don't you let us help you? We'll, we'll help you, uh, you know, with your take over the ship kind of thing, right? And uh, as the woman walks away and then... Um, he says Alpha Braga Four works every time, right? So Tapring actually does show up in the space, and she's like, you know, so and uh, Captain Angel is like, let's trade, and you know, um, and Spock sort of says to Chapel, I, I think I figured out who the Vulcan is, and uh, so he runs up to the to screen and says, Tapring, attack the ship, destroy this ship, don't, don't let them take the, don't let them take the ship, and at which point Asper, Angel shoots uh, Spock and and. Uh, Knocked and basically knocked him out. So Christine runs to him to help him out. And then, um, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And then a little while later, as he, as he wakes up, he sort of says to, uh, to Christine, he says, uh, follow my lead and just go along with what I'm, what I'm doing here. And he runs up to the screen and says, Spring, I have to tell you, I cannot deny my feelings. I have to tell you that, and that, um, and he's fumbling and, and, uh, Nurse Chapel runs around him and says, you know, yeah, he's trying to tell you that we're having an affair and, and, uh, you know, and, and at which point she's like, I don't believe you. This is just a ruse. Or uh, Dr. Aspen says, this is just a ruse to Aspen slash Captain Angel. And at which point um, Spock and Christine smooch is the best way to say it. They really go at it. Um, and brings like looking at them incredulously. And she's like, well, I have no choice but to sever the bond. And of course, you know, then Spock and, and bring do their little thing with their fingers held up, their Boy Scout salute. And they, uh, Girl Scout, I think it's Girl Scout, and they, um, yeah, three, they three fingers for the Boy Scouts, three fingers. Three, okay, I think it's two for Girl Scouts. So they, so, and he's like, goodbye, print to Pring, and, and she's goodbye, Spock, and, and that's it. And, uh, um, at which point, um, all of a sudden the, the, there's a blast, and, uh, oh, and then, of course, you know, that they can fire on the ship, and, and at which point the Serene, um, fires on the Enterprise, and, uh, they're like, what's going on? And they bring up the screen, and of course, um, Una says, you know, our backdoor codes have have let us take over, have taken over the Enterprise, and they've they've turned off the the weapons and the navigation and stuff like that. And, and uh, so uh, Pike said, Pike says, you know, we've taken, get out of my seat. I've taken over the taken over the ship, and I, I want my ship back. And at which point he tells uh, Ortegas to fire gently on the, the impulse engines, and she fires, and he says, I gently, and she says, what does fire gently actually even mean? <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at which point Captain Angel's telling Spock that Zavarius always talks about you, and, you know, uh, 
you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come back sometime and we'll take this, we'll take this on again. And she, she uses her necklace, which she was helping with him to beam off the, sh- off the ship by herself onto her own little, um, her own little, um, a little runabout, yeah, Star- yeah. Her, tar- it gets into her own Tie Fighter and flies away, right? And uh, to come back again in in, in Empire Strikes Back. Um, anyway, uh, so Pike says, "Can you beam us off now, like right away?" Because you know the mutiny's still in progress, and we had, and of course, you know, the the pirates are trying to break into the br- into the bridge, and so they beam them off. And so, long story short, the pirates are captured. We fade away and come back to the Enterprise. Ca- the pirates are all captured and taken away, and that kind of stuff. And um, Hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just auto 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 corrector is not helping me out. It says spring. No, to Pring realizes that, that <laughs> uh, she shows up with Spock and and realizes that that the uh, the whole thing with Christine was a, was fake and and she believed him and they, you know they better we better you know reaffirm our vows and so they decide they go on off they go off and knock boots again. Um, Something about duty and booty, Jaime. Duty and booty, <laughs> exactly. So later on, Spock goes to talk to Christine, you know, to recap his his sort of exploits and thank her for her her helping with the ruse. And at which point he tells, uh, she asks him about you know Sarek, and he says uh, about he says Sarek had a son out of wedlock, or like a bastard son sort of thing. And and um, I think she says to him, "Your human side is useful after all," because he he was able to use that to to smooch with her. And you know, he start telling her, you know, applaud your performance on the ship and. You know, I thought you might want to talk about your feelings because you're human and humans always want to talk about their feelings. And she says, no, no, I, I, I told you earlier and I didn't mention this earlier, but she says she likes Vulcans because they're honest and they're, they're not hiding anything. And um, she says, I know where I stand with you kind of thing. And, and in a sort of disappointing voice, because I think I think we always know that uh, Christine Chapel as a character is always pined after Spock, right? Yeah. Even in the original series, right? Yeah. So, um he says, I think I know who, who the the son is. He says, I ha- this person is basically my half-brother. And, and of course, we see the uh, my half-brother, Cybok, at which point Curtin kept, uh, William Shatner comes in direction the episode, next episode. Ah! <laughs> so, yeah, and of course, you know, we see Tring and and, uh, and um, Stone, they go to the, the prison cell. And, and you see a character who looks a little, from behind, looks a lot like the Cybok character from... Star Trek Five. Star Trek V. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's how the episode ends. We see, you know, the half silhouette of Cybok. Yeah. Who famously was who embraced his whole emotions, and he had that whole um, way of showing people, you know, what they. I, I you know, I, I like the beginning of of Star Trek Five. It, it got really incredulous halfway through, right? Halfway. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Cybok had the sort of magical, you know, Carlos Castaneda's, you know, reveal your inner self to you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Almost like the, almost like the, uh, the bugs that Khan puts in the people's ears, right? Yep. Make them do what he wants, right? Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. So interesting. So, and, and, and we can talk about the, the actress, um, is trans, right? And, yep. um, which, yeah, which is, uh, forgotten her name, but. Jesse James Keitel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, so. Not only was was uh, was Jesse James Keitel uh, portraying Aspen slash Angel, um, and um, she goes by she is a trans woman, but the episode was actually directed by uh, Sydney Freeland as well, who's a trans person as well. So, oh, really? and the uh, the part of the episode you mentioned the um, the part where 
uh, she goes into Spock's quarters and she's wearing this leather cat suit that is uh, transparent in some places. And, and, you know, she looks sexy as hell. And, mm-hmm. and she's clearly there to sort of throw Spock off his game a little bit. And she's making the this sort of metaphor for for. Uh, non-binary existence, right? She's basically saying, right. you know, she's talking about that that line she has about she's talking about geography and genetics, and she's talking about um, fitting into boxes. Well, that's that's the the metaphor for for just because you were labeled this at birth doesn't mean that's who you are. You need to discover who you are. Right. That's like, right. of course, a beautiful metaphor for for you know the experience of a lot of trans people is this: the body isn't who I am. It's just what I'm stuck in. I I'm going to be who I am, right? So. I thought that was really deftly handled, considering they never hit you in the face with it in this episode, but it's there. Yeah. And she was great. I thought she was a great villain. She was, uh, you know, she's very sweet, sort of ingenue in the first half, and then she sort of turns and she's kind of a, you know, curled-lipped, snarling, you know, asshole at the the end uh, of, of, you know, uh, of the episode. And yeah, I thought she did a great job. I'm, I'm hoping that... In the way that we used to get these one-off episodes of, of Trek back in the day and even at, in, up into TNG and, and other Star Trek, yeah. you know, we get these kind of villains and we may never see them again. I'm hoping that this is the first of, of uh, at least another one appearance by her because I thought she was great. Yeah, it was like Ensign Rowe. I remember her on yeah, the, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michelle yeah, Forbes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she came on and uh, she was amazing. In, in, uh, was she in um, Battlestar Galactica? Uh, yes, something she was. Later. She was later in Battlestar Galactica, right? Yeah, but she liked it. It was an interesting character because she came on and she was, you know, enticing and whatever, and she was, you know, hard, hard, you know, hard nosed and all that kind of stuff. And she, so it was a good foil for mm-hmm. whoever they put her up against, right? Yep. And she was a Maquis too, wasn't she? Uh, in the end, she does quit Starfleet to join them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Most recently, she was, in she was TNG, right? uh, an actress on uh, New Amsterdam. The uh, not hotel, hospital related drama. She played a hmm. um, really? a seemingly hmm. evil uh, administrator. Hmm. Yeah, she's a good she's a good performer. I've seen her in some hmm. other movies and stuff. I, I think she's really talented. Yeah, for sure. Um, can we can we digress just for one second? And so they talked two things that kind of caught my ear in this episode. One was when they were talking about how you know. Uh, Aspen slash Angel, so I guess is when she was Captain Angel, says, you know, oh, you think they'd give up their, you know, favored son. I always get the impression that Spock was not so much the favored son because yeah, even yeah. though he's the first Vulcan in Starfleet, you know, he's kind of hated for being quote unquote a half breed, right? Like I think Yeah, exactly. It, it, that was not how I ever perceived him, especially in that era. Maybe over the course of the two hundred and twenty years of his lifetime, he was considered a, a great Vulcan, but not at that point in his life, I don't think. But beyond that, I found myself as, you know, they were talking about, you know, oh, you know, Zavarius is an alias. I think what he, he, she's referring to is actually Cybok, my half-brother that my father had out of wedlock. And I was thinking, speaking of Vulcan disgraces, how is it possible that even right into the TNG era that Sarek is this beloved member of the ambassador, yeah, ambassador, exactly. and he's Sarek, this high-ranking yeah. thing? Okay, so one, he marries a human and has a half-human, half-Vulcan child. So that's like a no-no. Yeah. Yeah. He adopts a human child in Michael Burnham, yeah. also a no-no, and brings her to Vulcan to be raised. 
And then mm-hmm. he has a child out of wedlock as well. And I'm like, this guy, he must be super charming in person. And that is not the impression <laughs> I get from him. But how does he get away with all this stuff? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I, it, yeah. And it's kind of like, like, if you think about it, put, put two and two together. He's sent to Earth to study humans, right? How does he convince Amanda to become his, you know... I mean, some people are attracted to Stoics, right? I mean, you know, as, as well. No, I get, I get that, but I'm like, like I, I'm, I'm thinking, like, is he like Thomas Jefferson? You know, who <laughs> yeah. sampled the wares, as it were. <laughs> you know? Oh, where is that spinoff series? Correct. <laughs> right, yeah, the, the party years. Yeah, <laughs> or uh, yeah, Sarah, yeah, for sure. Well, no, because I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Like, like you know, having ha- like what, like. He and Amanda are like, you know, solid right to the very end there, right? So yeah. this is, of course, after he's affair. already had the, <laughs> the child out of wedlock. And the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, sure. Well, because it's kind of funny because like, you know, yeah, I mean, they introduced Michael Burnham as, as the, the human daughter, uh, you know, half Spock, half sister, whatever, um, in Discovery, right? Yeah. And that sort of, and of course, you know, we knew about Cybok from, from Star Trek V, but like, where does... Cybok fit into things. He younger than Spock. No, I think he's got to be Spock? older. That would be, but that would be my okay. impression. Even, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, so he was a college drunken, you know, frat binge I or don't what? No, I mean, are we supposed to like? Is the because the other assumption would be that he cheated on Amanda, which doesn't yeah. compute either, right? Yeah. What do you think, yeah, I mean? Yeah. I figured it was a sowing wild oats kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that makes more sense. Tracks with the character got the girl, got the girl pregnant more. in high school or university or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, for a species that doesn't feel emotions, they sure they do seem to knock boots quite a they bit. They sure hold hands and and kiss and you know, again, there's no yeah. practical purpose for those things beyond you know. Yeah. Well, you no, know, it's funny because because Spock and Dupring kiss in this in this series, right? Yet Amanda and and. Uh, Sarek only ever rubbed two fingers together, right? Yeah, but maybe they just didn't do PDA, right? Like maybe they weren't behind yeah. the closed doors. He was like, "Hey, put on them boots." I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's this uh, this uh, human, you know, Federation, you know, influence on these Vulcans is corrupting them all, right? Yo, well, that, and again, but then the fact that he has a, a human wife that he brings to live on Vulcan and then adopts a human child that is not from that relationship and has a half Vulcan child again. How could this guy be revered? Like, does not add up. Yeah, it does. It's true. It doesn't doesn't fit with the whole Vulcan purity kind of idea. Right. Although maybe maybe, you know, maybe it was logical for him to have a child out of wedlock. You know, it had to have been right. Uh Sure. It's only it's only logical for me to come and knock boots with this strange woman <laughs> who I'm going to impregnate, right? Anyway. All right. So Obi Wan. Obi Wan. That would be the Jaime 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 Lopez Jr. guy, right? Yep. Yeah. I don't right. know that it needs like a super detailed recap because it's not that complicated, right? It's kind of more setting some things up and and paying off some things that happened, right? So we do get a little bit of the you know, here in part five or part V, if you like, we do get the <laughs> the um, uh, the sort of fan service thing that we wanted to see of Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan. In this case, in a flashback dueling, right? This uh, Hayden is, Christensen, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah Hayden yeah. Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Okay, so before you delve too deep into that, okay, so yeah, I'm re- I was really excited to see Hayden Christensen and, and 
Obi-Wan in, in the sort of, you know, Phantom, or not Phantom Menace, the Attack of the Clones pre that, like between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones kind of generation, right? Um, no, the, this scene is, is clearly, I think, right before anyway, the Revenge at the of the time, Sith. At the time, right, Anakin slash Hayden Christensen would have been in his 20s. Yeah. He, he looks a little older than that. This guy clearly is in his 40s. Yeah. Like, can we, don't we have the technology? Where's George Lucas when we need him? Yeah, I, I didn't understand retro, that one. retcon these guys' faces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there's some, there, there's going to be some interesting uh, director and or budget choices and some writing choices that are, are knocks, definite knocks on this episode. Um, that was one of them that, like, I mean, it's cool. You got Hayden Christensen and, and he looks close enough, but you just needed a little bit of that CGI to de-age him just to like give us that. I mean, you went through all this effort with Luke, right? Like why, why would you not do that here? Yeah, you know, yeah. where, where were you saving your pennies exactly for? What were, what were you saving them for? Um, My only thought on it is maybe it's supposed to be a memory invader's head. And so therefore it's not supposed to be a, like a literal thing like so maybe given that okay his face gets burned off older. on mustafar and given that his face gets burned off on mustafar how, how when would he ever have that many wrinkles on it no it's true and and he also again i, I think the whole idea is this episode would be framed by this this duel between obi-wan and and anakin where it ties into the theme of of you know anakin says when he's ranting to padme in revenge of the sith you know obi-wan is holding me back holding me back and this is because mm-hmm. obi-wan is saying you oh, will always be held back, back by your yeah. your need to win and so i think it's supposed to tie into that again i just i'm i think the only explanation might be that this is not supposed to be a literal memory but an interpretation of a memory from from uh from vader's perspective but i still I, again, I, I think it's not well done i, I think it's your, your guys are right it's confusing and again it doesn't fit with the Clone Wars. Anakin is a completely different, respectable dude, right? Yeah, I mean, he does in the later seasons. He does start to be a little more. He he gives into his anger. He's a little more reckless. Yeah, but 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 he's like like almost understandably like you know he does he doesn't he, yeah he's always sort of charging in right sort of in, in Clone Wars. Well, right? and he like, does. You do start to see that he is being treated a certain way by the Council and a certain way by by some of the senior Jedi, the Jedi masters and stuff. Again, there's no justification for what he does when he starts chopping up little kids and stuff. But at the same time, he does have a case for, yeah, they're treating me badly. Right. Right. Sorry, Jaime, we broke up your, no, like I said, it doesn't need a a, a traditional sort of, you know, piece by piece recap because it's not that complicated Mm -hmm. of a thing, right? It's like, okay, you've got this framing device of the, the different philosophies of Obi-Wan and Anakin about, you know, about life kind of through the lens of their duel of, you know, Jedi don't do this to like win and kill and Anakin's Cobra Kai sort of mentality of like mercy, mercy doesn't help you win sort of thing. Um, And and I think that's something they wanted to frame here because it it goes into the, the, the back and forth sort of mind duel, if you want to call it that between Obi-Wan and Vader long before they even, interact with each other in this episode right so basic premise is that um leia's uh, lola droid which has been uh, taken over with a restraining bolt and is uh, you know glowing red evil has tampered with the um 
was it like the door mechanism? I think it is. The yeah, electronics. it locks the doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know they they want that to happen so that the empire the empire wants that to happen so they can come in and 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 get what they want here in, ter- in terms of the base. They are fully aware that you know they're going to close the gates and everything, but everybody's playing everybody else off, right? Uh, Riva's playing mm-hmm. to try to get to Vader, which you know spoilers, spoilers, spoilers there. That's kind of a thing that she's been wanting to do for a while. Obi Wan is trying to play uh, Riva off against Vader. Vader is doing the the same thing. I kind of expect Obi Wan will react this way when when we do certain things because I know his style. We we don't need to just obliterate everything off the map. We can just push Obi Wan to the point at which he will he will come to us. Right? He will give himself up as a, as a noble person. So you've got this sort of everybody needs to to leave like all these other people. Uh, Roken and all these other guys, like all the, the sort of like resistance type folks, they need to leave on the seemingly only shuttle that can leave. And this is this this will be one of the things we'll come back to later around one of the issues I have here. Um, it's a very similar issue with um, uh, Rise of Skywalker, but from all camera angles that we see, there should only be a single shuttle here for everybody to just get on and leave, right? Yeah. But don't they mention they only have a couple of ships in the very beginning? If they do, it's a really casual cutaway thing, and they don't really yeah. establish visually. Anyway, as you like to say, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, so Leia's, you know, tiny little kid. She can fit into the air duct. She can put her, her, her grubby little fingers in there and, and, and fix the thing. So they send her off to go do that. Again, she's 10. How, what does she know about electronics and rewiring? I think they just really told her, hey, so... The back of this PC is color coded, so if you see a red thing, <laughs> plug it into the red hole. Because you didn't right. seem to have schematics or anything, right? They they sort of figured out, okay, it's it's this piece, and you know you've got uh, you know some good pew pew pews when the Empire shows up with with Riva in tow. Um, they have a little bit of of, of fun between Obi Wan and, and Riva related to them talking to each other through the through the door that's not as thick as you would want considering a lightsaber goes through it um there there's some fighting there in the in the cave um people meet their untimely end including uh is it tala was that her name the the spy yep. yeah yeah yep. yeah yep. you know she's got her cool end uh, her and the robot i forget the robot's name um he turns himself into you know, like a terminator kind of thing and then he gets shot and he's just turns into a shield and she thermal detonates herself. That's all cool stuff. The sort of main part of this episode is the Obi-Wan turning himself over to Reva, right? Like, I'm going to disarm myself. I'm going to turn myself over, which Vader kind of expected him to do. And Reva had wanted Obi-Wan to come in, you know, kind of himself. I say not Obi-Wan. Uh, Vader to come in with himself so that she can get him alone, right? So when he does come in alone, we have the shuttle trying to take off. He uses a lot of force power. He stops it from doing so, and he starts ripping it apart. There's like nobody in there. And while he's on his, uh, you know, force power cooldown, <laughs> the other real ship takes off, which is like right behind it. Which I think I have a problem with when it comes to uh, the writing piece of like, why did you need to write this in? You know, make us think that, oh, man, he's like stopped the one ship that was leaving and is ripping it apart. And oh, no, actually, it was another ship, which feels a lot like Ray, you know, oh, no, she killed 
Chewbacca by blowing up the ship he's on. Oh no, actually, it was another one that he was on. I completely like that. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's one of those things that is. Uh, it's not like a twist. Like we just talked about an episode of Star Trek that like has a legit twist. This one has more of a. You were hiding information from us. <laughs> like you didn't show us that there were two ships there. You made it seem very, very much like this. Just this one ship is the only way they had to get off. So I don't. It seemed like it was just an excuse to show him being an absolute badass, right? Like it, just, it was just an excuse to show him like pulling a shuttle down using the dark side of the force and ripping it to shreds, right? I guess why not just show us that there were two of them then, right? So we sort of think that they, you know, are evenly distributed across the two. And oh crap, he's like <laughs> stopping at least half of it. Um, and then we could be surprised. Oh crap, they they kind of knew obi-wan's like look guess what he's gonna rip apart the first thing he sees so everybody get in the further one away because obviously you would attack the closer one and let him wear himself out on that and then gun it as soon as he's done like i could see more more of that again it just like you know including hayden christensen uh normal age in the in the duel not not a huge misstep but just a he just had a, a little tweak here and there and it would have been so much better yeah. Without changing a whole lot of, and I agree with you that they wanted to show him do cool things. You can still have him do cool force things. Just don't try to make it uh fake drama of like, Oh no, everybody's doomed. Oh, actually they're not doomed. It's totally fine. They just zoomed away without having it feel uh, earned, I guess is what I, I had a problem with. The part that was cooler though, was, was seeing Vader by Reva. Right. So uh, somewhere along the way here, Obi-Wan has figured out that Reva was one of the younglings, which I think we kind of suspected. Um, from, Get go, and she's been in this whole thing just to really get her revenge on on Anakin. And Anakin was like, "You think I didn't know? I'm not stupid. I was using you this entire time. You were still useful to me. And guess what? You are not a match for me." And she's not right. They have a a, a cool fight, and it's kind of clear for the most part that he's he's kind of got her dead to rights, um, in, including you know taking away her weapon. I, I thought for a moment he might give her the um, the Count Dooku special when he took her weapon apart yeah. into the two blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead, he went with the uh, just stab him in the gut and 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 hope their their healthcare coverage doesn't include the Cuisinart replacement plan. <laughs> right, because <laughs> we we know that that's what happened to the previous Grand Inquisitor, and he shows up and just dunks on her. Uh, immediately right and, yeah. and um wait so don't she, those holes in your midsection hurt a lot don't they hurt a lot <laughs> <laughs> here's some salt for you I'm, again but I, I asked this question on our slack like how come like why don't people ever double tap the sith because they seem to like they seem to survive these things like don't, didn't they learn from darth maul that you know even chopping them in half doesn't doesn't do it well it seems know? like the flaw in the idea of a lightsaber like a lightsaber it seems like they're using them a little bit like a, a fencing foil. They they run them through, but with a fencing foil, when you do that, or like a, in a, like an actual like a real sword like that, it would work because it would pierce you, and then when you pull it out, you would bleed out, or it would you know puncture your organs or whatever. In this case, it cauterizes as it comes in and goes in and comes out. So that seems like a bad design if you're going to use a lightsaber you need to use it like a broadsword right you need to just slash from the top to the bottom because then they fall into pieces and there's no getting up from like you know if you, if you whack somebody from the shoulder down through the midsection they're they're dead they're they're really dead yeah yeah i follow the um 
what would I do if I was in uh, like a 1980s horror movie? It's like, oh, Jason or Michael Myers, uh, Jason Voorhees, that is, or Michael Myers. Like, I think you're dead. We hit him with like a pan, right? <laughs> like a frying pan. Yeah. And he's, he's there on the floor and like, mm, I think I'm just going to keep hitting until he's mush. <laughs> the very yeah. least. <laughs> right. With the lightsaber. Yeah. It's just, it's just laziness to like run him through and then stop. It's like, well, but you just cut him in half. And they cut that in half and they cut that in half. And 30 seconds later, you've got, you know, kibbles at that point. Well, right? there's, yeah, I mean, there was an ancient torture method called drawing and quartering. Like you literally chopped them into pieces because there's no coming back from that. And it's, you know, it's a horrible way to go. I, uh, I my only thought is that, you know, maybe both the Grand Inquisitor and Vader were just like, you're not even worth the time it takes to double tap. You know, like you, we want you to just die here knowing that you were a failure. Yeah. Maybe that's sort of the point of it. It seems to be because I, I completely glossed over the fact that she was granted the the title of Grand Inquisitor, which is a very short lived title for her. And yeah. uh, Grand Inquisitor before is now presumably Grand Inquisitor again. He's got the little badge and he was the leader before. So why why not? Um, it, it does feel like a power move to be like, you, you, you're done here, dead or not, yeah. like you, you're no match for us. It's very clear that at the very least Vader can take you out and presumably the Grand Inquisitor won't be uh, quite so willing to trust you anymore should you show up, you know, on some yeah. dark, dusty moon in the future. Well, and the, just a f- savage dunking by Vader where he says, do you really think I wouldn't know who you were, youngling? Like, oh, like all this time she's like been plotting and looking for the perfect opportunity. Although it's so funny because she's come this far. She's been like in a room with Vader however many times she's worked her way into this position. She's gone through this whole thing from her childhood on. And then her move was just to like run at him with a <laughs> lightsaber from behind. Yeah. Just like, dropping, come on! Just dropping the ball in the one yard line. Yeah, uh, just uh, it just seemed like not not the best strategy, and clearly just a bit of a letdown from like her making that call of like you know where, where Obi Wan says you know I'm not you're not bringing him to me I'm bringing him to you where you know she's like oh this is my shot I can I can finally take out Vader and Obi Wan's like peace out I'm going on the ship you do this like wouldn't it be in the best interests of all parties to you know, maybe see if you could take this guy out in, in mass force. Not that that would have worked either, but uh, yeah, it just seemed, it just seemed like a, a half-assed plan and on what otherwise was a really good long game. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta be patient all the way through for your, your plans. Let that be your lesson, kids. The moral, the moral of this story. The other moral of this story is you, uh, loose lips sink ships and, um, Bail Organa is not so great you know, operational security was like, Hey, so I know we're not supposed to break radio sense, but I'm going to do so now. And I'm going to give a lot of information away, including, you know, um, including uncle Owen's like social security number and stuff too. So that people <laughs> can track him down. It's like, no, what are you doing, man? Um, presumably that will, will be. Yeah, and he mentions the children that gets overheard by, by, uh, um, an inquisitor who are looking for children who are force talented, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, hope I didn't give you enough info to be like these are Anakin's kids. There are precisely two of them. Uh, the the boy, that guy you stood nose to nose with in episode two. Remember him, that farmer that said he didn't know any Jedi. Guess what? Yeah, yeah. 
that's uh, that's setting up for uh, the grand finale in in episode or part six, not episode part six. Yep. So part six, yeah, this is next week. Yeah, right? and that's the finale. Ooh. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen on Tatooine. I, was it just me, or did it seem like it was a missed opportunity when Obi Wan is on the the vessel and they've escaped? And he's he's clearly thinking about like, huh, have I have I screwed this up? What did I forget? What have I missed? And of course, they're putting it together for you by showing, you know, Reva finding the communicator and then finishing the episode on Luke. Why doesn't he say I have a bad feeling about this? (laughs) He's clearly sitting there and Leia's like, what's wrong? And he's like, nothing. I'm like, all he has to say is I have a bad feeling about this. It's it's sitting right there. Yeah, there's uh, there's there's definitely uh, a meme culture that has grown up around the prequels many years after the prequels had their their time in the the spotlight. So a lot of people are wanting Obi Wan to say hello there. Um, yeah, which is yeah. popular. Uh, people were talking about wanting Anakin and or Obi Wan, depending which side you want to like. When they go into duel, one of them immediately runs to the high ground, just like turns and hightails. Yeah. Oh yeah! To try to were get you the not high waiting for first. that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, were you not waiting for that when they were they kept intermixing that that fight scene between Obi Wan and Anakin in the past? I was totally waiting for that to be the move where where because a couple of times it seems like Anakin's got Obi Wan beat. I was waiting for Anakin at some point to like climb aboard a planter or like hang off the walls or something and be like, "I've got the high ground, sucker." Yeah, it, it it adds to you know the inevitable Death Star duel in Episode Four of like, as you can see, <laughs> this perfectly flat hallway has no high ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just man to man now. <laughs> yeah. What you gonna do now, old man? No lava, no high ground. Yeah, it was it was a good episode, but you're right. It was it was kind of predictable end to end there was no sort of i mean it was sad you know obviously you know tala was sort of made to be destroyed right like in a, in a in a show we talked about how the you know any prequel has its flaw in that you can't kill any of the main characters you know the main characters are going to leia's going to live and luke's going to luke's going to live and you know that ben's going to live and all these characters are going to live even the grand inquisitor when they quote unquote killed him in the second episode like he knew he was going to live he's in rebels but Still, it was a sad moment when, you know, Tala gets pegged and uh, Ned B is trying to protect her and he's getting blown up. And it's, you know, and then she pulls out the thermal detonator and, and takes out a bunch of stormtroopers and stuff. But it's still a sad moment. I mean, you knew she was there to die. She was meant to be the person who dies doing this, but it's still a sad moment. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny, you know, Tim, you mentioned in uh, in the recap for for uh, Strange New Worlds that, you know, it's a trap. This one was it's a trap. Yeah. And when we get to Ms. Marvel, it'll be it's a trap. There's a, there's a theme in this week's yeah, episodes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Ms. Marvel, I'll do uh, I'll, I'll try and run through it pretty quick. Uh, Tim, did you have a chance to watch both the, the first two episodes now? I have Ms. Marvel. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So there'll be no spoilers here. So kids, if you uh, haven't watched Ms. Marvel, uh, we're going to talk about that for a little bit, but uh, it's not the kind of show. It's not, it's not a puzzle box show. It's not really trying to sort of figure much out beyond, you know, how exactly did, did uh, Kamala get her powers and, you know, sort of, there's a couple of little mysteries, but it's, it's pretty easy access stuff. Um, First of all, shout out to whoever does the music for the show because it's fantastic. Starting the episode with Feel So Good by Mace just brought me right back to my uh, party times in college. That was great. Um, 
episode starts with, you know, it's uh, an echo of the first episode where she goes to school and she's sort of, you know, very awkward and very clumsy and very uh, doesn't really fit in, can't even get into her own locker. And this time she's got the powers and she comes in and she's, you know, feeling good and she's strutting through school because she knows that things have changed since she got her powers. And um, very funny, the uh, the the Paul Rudburn that, uh, you know, uh, why did you think you'd have Ant-Man's powers? Because I'm also charming and look younger than I am. Uh, that that was a really funny Paul Rudburn. Um, of course, Zoe, the character that uh, is the sort of cool, popular YouTuber girl, has got all the spotlight on her because she was the one who was saved by Ms. Marvel in the last episode. They're trying to figure out what to call her, and they go up with the name Nightlight, which is maybe the worst superhero name in a long time. Uh, and then she, she, you know, her eyes are drawn to this uh, very handsome, uh, dark-skinned young man who, uh, you know, uh, we find out is is Kamran, the new the new senior in school, and uh, and you know, the, Zoe says, "I'm going to have a, a party, a life-affirming party, to celebrate how, you know, the fragility of life. We all got to come to the party." And uh, yeah, so that the, the sort of story starts to revolve around this this you know going to the party. Uh, it's so funny because, you know, I think I mentioned in the last episode that, that uh, Kamala's powers in this show are much more like Green Lantern's power ring. She even references herself, you know, it's like an idea come to life. Well, that's exactly what a Green Lantern powered ring is. It's powered by your thoughts. And so whatever you think of, you can create using the ring. It's not a good look for the show because it's it just makes that parallel that much clearer, mm-hmm. although it does kind of dumb down for people who are like, what is she doing? Uh, the idea that she can sort of think things into existence, I guess, is a, is a way to sort of make that easier. Um, so she goes and has these sort of sessions with Bruno, her best friend, to try and figure out uh, what the powers are, where they come from, how to use them. He figures out that the bangle is not the source of her power, but it somehow has unlocked the power that was inside her. Um, interesting mm-hmm. development. We didn't really have a sense. We thought maybe that the bangle was the thing, but apparently it was just sort of the, the key to unlock what was inside her the whole time. Uh, they discuss how she can create these hard light things. That's what she does when she saves Zoe in the first episode. And here we see her in this little training montage, you know, making slides and steps and, and sort of using her powers, using trying to sort of get used to them. Um, you know, we get a little sort of more character development and, and towards the middle of the episode with her and her friend uh, Nakia, who are, of course, uh, they're both Muslim. And so they're going to the mosque and and, you know, they're sort of more experience and sort of seeing them, you know, feeling like they're sort of out of place there and, and sort of frustrated with some of the ways that they're treated and stuff like that. So that's interesting. That was, a, that was an interesting scene. I was, I was, I was kind of glad to see that happening because I don't think we get to see, you know, um, from that, from a person in a mosque perspective, especially a woman, no, like in no. a mosque and how they're, and how they're separated and, you know, they're, um, you know, they, they're, and the comments about, we can't really hear back here because they don't care that we can't hear back yeah. here. And, mm-hmm. You know, and that we're not, and she speaks up and, you know, the, the, the sheik, yeah. I don't know what, the what? The sheik, that's the, 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 it's the, the priest, priest guy. Yeah. yeah. The sheik says, you know, sort of dismisses her for, thank you for speaking up, but you're interrupting my, but don't interrupt my, my, uh, my sermon yep. kind of thing. Yep. Or whatever he calls it, Mr. Lesson or whatever. Yep. But yeah, it was interesting to see that perspective because I was kind of wondering what what they were, I I knew what they were doing when they were they were you know washing their faces and they were you know yeah. running around washing their feet and yeah 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 I was waiting I was waiting for her to to um put a hijab hijab on but didn't well she puts a scarf on 
Yeah, it's a headscarf on. She doesn't doesn't. Oh, oh, in in yeah, in when the she's in the mosque, yeah, she puts yeah. her headscarf on. Yeah, but even in the date part where she's at the very end when she when she's she's given the scarf by her friend to go on the date with uh, so and so. Oh, yeah, with Kamran, yeah. Yeah, she doesn't. Because I, I kind of wonder. Because I mean, like you know, I do know that you know in some of the Muslim women I've worked with, I, I've worked with Muslim women before where I can't even make contact with them. Yeah, because you're not like, you're relative. Not you're not their husband. Yeah, exactly. Yep. You, you, you know. They're, they're, they wear the headscarf, and, and yeah, you can touch their computer and their keyboard, but you cannot nope. touch them. No, 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 no absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's good. I mean, you know, at its best, these kinds of shows are not just good, you know, fun character shows, but are also, you know, it's edutainment, right? You're, you're learning a little bit about, exactly, you know, yeah. Yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, again, she's, she's an average, you know, first-generation American kid. She's brought her mm-hmm. culture with her from her country. She's got practicing her, her religion as she was brought up. And, you know, for some kids, that's super important. We see Nakia sort of declaring that, like, she's kind of trying to find her own niche within her religion, and and you know, Kamala uh, Kamala's experience I, I, I is like different. The scene where, I like how she says to to uh, you know the fact that she's now becoming a woman and she started wearing the the hijab that even her parents can't look her in the eye anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. No, I mean, I th- I think as as a as a um, cultural study as well as. A character study. I think this has been a, a a really good show. It's not beating you in the face with it, but it's also yeah, it's it's there and it's it's yeah, part of who she yeah. is, and I think that's really valuable. Well, even the Islamic rap, which we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. So um, it's so funny because she in the the last episode she went to the the Avengers con. She got caught. She got in trouble, and her parents are like, "Who are you?" Her mom gives her you know a real tough time. And in this episode, she comes home and she apologizes and then says, hey, can I go to a party with boys and alcohol? And they're like, okay, yeah, you can go. I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> like, that didn't add up. But she gets to go to the party that Zoe's having. She says, you know, oh, Nakia and Bruno will be there and, you know, I'll be home by nine o'clock and it's fine. Uh, they go there and, of course, Kamran, the sexy uh, the boy, has got a shirt off and he's doing a flip into the pool. And, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's you know, she's got, you know, drool coming down her chin. And, and um, and of course, the cops show up, so they all jump into Kamran's car and she and, and Kamran are bonding and they're talking about Bollywood movies and Bruno is clearly in the backseat getting kind of jealous and uh of course Kamran asks for her phone number and you know uh the two of them start to connect and yeah it's really funny and of course Kamran dismisses Bruno by calling him Brian which is really funny um yeah it's it's so funny that you know she sort of everything seems to be coming up roses for her but of course that's the setup right you know she goes from being this sort of you know nerdy awkward kid all of a sudden she's got these powers and things are starting to turn out the other way but wait for the other shoe to drop we get a funny scene where she's in class and her nose starts to glow like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but in sort of a greenish blue. Uh, she goes into the to the, uh, to the bathroom and she's, you know, hiding in the stall, of course. And, and that's where we get that scene with Nakia where she's talking about her parents and just, you know, the awkwardness of being, uh, you know, a young Muslim woman and just, you know, how complex that can be. And... Uh, then from there, we end up with the scene where, you know, Bruno finds out from his guidance counselor that he's gotten into this cool Caltech program that he really wanted to go to because he's clearly a very smart kid. And, of course, now he's feeling threatened because he was, you know, he's got, you know, Kamala and she's got these powers and now Kamran's showed up and clearly he's, you know, sort of into her too. And how's that going to work? And... uh 
and of course he's you know just trying to sort of reconcile that when he goes outside the school with with Kamala and she ends up going to uh, on a date basically with with Kamran where you know she gets to drive his car and then they go out on this date and they almost get busted and then they kind of get busted but then they play a little trick on on her brother and his fiance by saying oh he was he's an extended cousin oh yeah man I think I remember you it was uh, weird you know that the, he like switched from his like British accent. To, to Pakistani accent, yeah, 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 and played off as oh, what was it, Great British Bake Off or something that he was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, funny scene. Her brother, the actor's playing her, her brother, is really funny and charming too. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's uh, again another one where you know she realizes like she's she in her mind is not doing anything inappropriate. She's hanging out with a boy, and of course she's attracted to him. But you know she she's not betraying her parents trust but again culturally she's not allowed to be with a boy who's not a family member so she has to say this is actually our cousin because otherwise i'd be in deep trouble because my brother's very pious and and i would get in trouble for being with someone i'm not supposed to be so again Mm -hmm. interesting little just a little subtle culture piece in there too um we end up with uh with um the two of them sort of going their separate ways. We end up back at the house and, uh, and Kamala's with her family and uh, they're sitting around the table and they're talking about, um, it's, so it's her brother's fiance is asking questions about, you know, where they were from and what their life experiences were. And they talk about the partition, which of course, um, you know, we've seen portrayed in pop culture. I know uh, there was a great Doctor Who episode that dealt with that in the last couple of years, but the partition where the British pulled out of what was then India. And of course the Muslims, uh, moved to the north and the 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 um, Hindus moved to the south and then they they partitioned it and created Pakistan and so they sort of talk about that story and then they sort of create this sort of you know more mystery around well you know yeah this the, the bangle belonged to this um her it's a great grandmother and yeah. so they tell the story about how she you know uh followed a trail of stars to get back to her family they were separated at the train station and somehow she followed this trail of stars and the trail of stars led her back to the train just in the moment it was about to leave and I, they all got out um and then and it's in that moment that the bangle starts to glow again and and of course um uh Kamala passes out <laughs> and I like that they're throwing Zimzam or Zamzam at her. Um, Zamzam is like holy water, but it comes from Mecca. I, I thought that was really, uh, again, it's a very nice sort of very specific thing uh, culturally. Like, you know, that's what you do. You splash them with holy water. That will get her to wake up. Um, yeah. And the focus on, on food is, is a key thing oh, yeah. in many cultures where they were like, so did you eat too much or maybe not enough? Did you not enough? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It was like, clearly your gut is something wrong. That's why you seemingly just passed out for no reason. That is something that my immigrant grandmother would have said a hundred percent said. Absolutely. Are you hungry? Are you not hungry? Are you full? Are you sick? Are you not sick? Like it just, that is, yeah, that was perfect. Um, so of course now, you know, she wakes up and she's just like, Oh no, no, I'm fine. And, but of course she's realizing that this bangle, her family history, there's clearly something happening here. So she tries to reach out to her, uh, her grandmother. She calls her grandmother in, in, uh, Pakistan and is just like, Hey, what's going on? What I, I don't understand. And, um, 
you know, her, her mom or her grandmother won't really reveal that, but you know, it sort of comes out that, you know, yeah, this, this belonged to your, uh, great grandmother. She was the shame of the family. We don't like to talk about her or whatever. And, and so again, deepens the mystery. We go to the, uh, uh, Aid, the end of Aid festival where the whole Muslim community in Jersey city is together there from their, from their mosque and they're having a good time and they're celebrating and, um, and of course, there's this sort of subplot to the episode of uh, Nakia is is going to run for a seat on the board of the mosque, even though, you know, it's traditionally men, it's traditionally older men. She's running up against other people. And so a very funny scene where they're all sort of trying to do, you know, a little campaigning for her. She goes after uh, uh Kamala's dad, which is a very funny scene. You wouldn't want to ruin the dreams of a young woman, would you? A woman who's practically like your daughter, your second daughter. That was so good. <laughs> and he's just looking more and more awkward. Yeah, it's, it's good performances in this show. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then we end up with uh, the, uh, the the little subgroup names killed me. The Illuminantes made me laugh so loud. That was so funny. Like, I mean... Tim, you must have experienced that, right? That the the you know Indian aunties, the Pakistani aunties, right? They're you know infamous and famous. This this sort of you know the gossip and the and you know they know everything. Yeah, the the, the auntie mafia. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so good. Um, and you know, so there again, we get a little bit more of a taste of oh, you know, everybody knows about your family. They got this, you know, black sheep in the past. And so again, a little more teasing for that. Uh, one of the kids is uh, trying to take a selfies up in the tower of the mosque, and uh, and you know, starts to fall out. And of course, this is the opportunity for uh, for Kamala to to go once more and be the hero. So the kid falls out of the window, and then she goes and puts her uniform on. That one kind of stumbled for me. I'm like, um, maybe rescue the kid. But she apparently stops and goes and finds her, her Captain Marvel costume that she wore in the last episode to go do that. So that was kind of a weird timing question mark. Um, she goes and she sort of, you know, goes up there, rescues this little boy who's going to fall out of the tower using her hard light platforms. And then she's trying to climb down with him. And uh, she has another one of those very weird visions where she's seeing this woman's face beckoning to her and her platform fades. And of course this poor little boy starts to fall. She reaches out to grab him with one of her sort of hard light hands, but he can't be caught. So she ends up basically breaking his fall a little bit using those platforms, but he ends up taking a pretty hard tumble landing on onto the top of a car, um, complaining that he hurt his ankle. So, you know, again, a save, but not the best save for sure. Um, and as she's trying from there to to sort of make her get away so that they don't find out who she is, uh, of course, Damage Control, who we saw teased earlier in this episode and then obviously at the end of the previous episode in the, in the post credit scene, Damage Control, the Department of Damage Control shows up and they're trying to catch her and she's, you know, trying to evade them, but not doing a great job of it. And a car pulls up and opens the door and says, get in. And it's Kamran. And so you're thinking, well, how how does the math add up on this? How does Kamran know who she is and what she's doing? She gets in and she turns around and sees the face of the woman who she's been having in her visions. And Kamran says, oh, by the way, I'll let me introduce you to my mom. Uh, and that's, of course, the little sort of cliffhanger we end up on. Um, yeah, interesting. Like, it's 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 
God, this show is likable. It's just so very likable. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not the puzzle box that we've had with things like Moon Knight. It's certainly lacking in in some of the maturity and the intensity, but it, it's such a charming show. I think. Yeah, it's a bit candy coated, though. I mean, oh, like, yeah, it does seem it does seem to be like targeting a much younger audience. For sure, like it's not. I mean, it, there's not as much pew pew, and you know, like as you would expect in sort of a Marvel type story and there's not a lot a lot of fisticuffs it's mostly you know it's social media points and and uh you know the the clothing you wear and the music you listen to and the kids at school and but I don't think that's a bad thing though I I, I really think think there's a place for this kind of show yeah I mean what I mean what I really 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 like about is is the sort of you know as as they say you know with um with different um ethnicities and, and social groups like it's good to be seen you know, if you're if you're a dark haired young lady, you know, in in preteen or even in teen in high school, it's good to be seen to be to have your li- your the, the lifestyle you live normalized, right? Um, and and it's good it's good for people like me too. Like I don't know anybody. I mean, you know, I know Muslims, but I don't know. I've never really talked to them about going to mosque, mm-hmm. right? And that kind of stuff, right? And, and I'm you know my whole experience is I've been to Anglican church a thousand times, and I've been to Catholic church a thousand times, and even there's the differences between those are, are quite noticeable, right? So, yeah, and, and, you know, same thing with synagogue and all that kind of stuff. Well, and um, it's, it's, it's an absolute truism that, you know, one of the best ways to break down the us and them walls is just to yeah. create those familiarities, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. you're yep. you're right. I, I've never gone to a mosque. Again, I have lots of Muslim friends, but I've never gone to mosque with them. And I, I found myself... To an extent, understanding based on just some of the experiences I've had with my other friends or family in church and different religions, I've certainly found parallels where I was like, oh, that's kind of like this. That's kind of like this. But still, you know, new experiences, new things to learn. And and yeah, I think it was I think it's very valuable. It's very healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I like the, the, the you know, the sort of the trope of, of the um, Bruno and, and Bruno's sort of kind of getting his nose out of joint and he's got this amazing chance to go off and do this amazing I like the the guidance counselor says, you know when you're watching the movie and you see that part of the movie where the person's life changes like, you know, completely yeah. this like, is that they movie. win the lottery or they <laughs> give them they're given a wand or whatever. He goes, This is that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Bruno is Peter Parker if he never gets bitten by the spider is the oh, vibe yeah. I got out of the character and the actor's portrayal. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a perfect way to to uh, to sum him up, isn't it? Yeah, and I do um, I do like how the stakes are very personal to a teenage girl, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the after she's with Kamran and she's presumably imagining sort of floating her way into the house, and it kind of almost feels like she's going to break into song. Um, yeah, is a very different style, and for me the the infusion of um, you know, Pakistani and Muslim culture into this show is interesting because I did not know that I have been missing out apparently by not seeing if I can go attend Ian Mubarak festivals somewhere. I didn't know out of ignorance what was involved, but it looks pretty dang good. Like there's food. Yeah. <laughs> you can go do stuff. I was like, Oh, I didn't know that was like a festival thing that you can go do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though. I mean, 
Bruno clearly has spent time growing up with Kamala and is comfortable with her family and everything like that. And of course, he he wears, you know, an appropriate outfit for the occasion and stuff like that. I do wonder, you know, I mean, obviously, some more so than others, just like this true with any other religious group. I'm sure that there are, you know, Muslim communities that would be happy to see you there and have you there and everything else. And other ones would be like, why? Um, so, yeah, I, 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 but again, I think the way that they portray it where, you know, Bruno is trying to fit into their culture, not trying to make them fit into his culture. Again, that's that's so deftly done versus, you know, if this story was done not long ago, it might have been more about Kamala trying to fit in with the white kids, right? Yeah. And here it's about him trying to fit in with, with the brown kids. And that's that's so such a, a lovely way of spinning it. I'm a little unclear now that you know, after watching the episode and then hearing your recap and not really thinking about the the cultural implications. So when um when Amir sees um Kamala with uh Kamran and realizes or, or thinks momentarily that he's not related to her, his face sinks, right? When he's like, Oh, oh yeah. this boy. And why why is that treated different than than Bruno, who seems to get a lot of grace for being a boy as well like it's it he's he's treated differently and i might have missed something as as to why he's treated differently like why don't they uh, keep him at kind of arm's length from the daughter yeah i i think part of it is supposed to be the fact that they've known bruno since he was a child so i think they perceive him not as a like they almost perceive him as a family member I mean, you see the relationship mm-hmm. that he has with with her dad in the first episode where he's like over helping her dad, like independent of hanging out with her is like helping them with, you know, stuff around the house. And is I think he, they consider him more or less a, a family where they don't consider him a, a strange boy, as as it were. Right. And therefore, he's mm-hmm. not perceived as a as a, you know, an impure threat to, to her. Whereas Kamran, again, is, is, you know, an older boy, someone they haven't met. And, you know, and, you know, again, culturally, probably what they would perceive as a more viable, uh, you know, romantic candidate. And so, therefore, if if they were caught out like that without him, him having like, you know, met the family in the whole nine yards, I think they would think that that, that would be inappropriate. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. They also established that it's different, too, because. Her brother, both in the comic and in the show, is a more pious uh, Muslim than her parents. Her parents even make a point of saying, we brought you here to be whatever you could be. And in the book, they say the same thing, basically, like, we brought you here so that you could have more freedom of choice. I mean, they it's notable that her mom does not wear a hijab or a headscarf. It's notable that she doesn't as well. But her brother dresses very much like more like somebody who is traditional Muslim. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's kind of telling. And I think that's why she's a little more nervous about her brother's reaction. I don't think again i don't think it's about her parents i think it's more about the mosque and the and the, and the community that would perceive yeah. this as a slight or a, a or a you know misstep that makes sense that makes sense um i i might have missed where they they mentioned the the timeline but from the difference in the way that the brother is compared to kamala i said i bet you it's like some other folks i know where um the older sibling grew up a little bit in the old country um probably came over mm-hmm. as a kid 
tends to retain more of the old country ways, whereas yep. the sibling who's younger, who was born here, is 100% American, which Kamala fits into that sort of trope, right? That she's like very heavily not like her brother, right? She's, she's got the, the, the New Jersey sort of thing to her. Yep. And just to steal a little bit from the comics uh, side of it, in the comics pretty early in the, in the first few issues of the book, they establish um, there's a good conversation between Kamala and her dad where uh, she's talking about like why, um, why her mom's so protective of her and everything else. And she said, you know, yeah, when we had your brother, uh, we had some complications and we didn't think we were going to be able to have more kids. So he was born and they thought he was like going to be the only child. And then Years later, uh, they ended up getting pregnant again and having her. And um, Kamal means perfection in Arabic. And so they had this beautiful, perfect little girl. And that's why they're so protective of her, because she was sort of this miracle. They did not expect to have more kids. They were they wanted to have a, a you know, a big family. They wanted to to have more kids and they didn't think they'd be able to. And that she came along. And, and that's why they're kind of overprotective of her is that, like, they weren't expecting to have her and they they treasure her because she's this sort of second one. But I think you're right, Jaime. I think there's this gap between them in both culture and there's this gap between them in age that kind mm -hmm. of, while her brother is a very kind person, both in the books and in the, and in the, the show, I think they're just, you're right. It's just, just different enough culturally, even though they've been raised by the same people in the same place or in a different place. Right. Yeah. I remember, um, some folks I used to work with more than a decade ago, uh, contractors uh, from India and eventually got their uh, at least green card, possibly citizenship here. And they had uh, a, a young daughter that, that born here and they were talking about like raising them very traditional and whatever. And I was like, wait, I thought you said you were going to stay here. And they said, yeah, I said, bro, your daughter's not Indian. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? I'm Indian or mother's Indian. I was like, no, your daughter is American. <laughs> like you're yeah. in for a rough surprise if you stay here in the United States, because she is not going to have the connection to India that you do. Her connection will mm -hmm. be primarily to the United States. So uh, just be aware when she wants to start dating at, as a teenager, that's going to be a very different conversation uh, here in the United States for your American daughter than it would be for the same person in India. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, I have a, a, a bunch of friends for my entire life growing up in Canada. This area of Canada is very multicultural. There are people who came here as young people. There are people who were born here and, you know, their parents are immigrants, which is not dissimilar. My, my dad's an immigrant, too. Um, it's it's not, not a dissimilar experience, but who they are is Canadian. Like, you know, they speak Canadian English. They are very different from who their parents are. And and that, I think that's one of the brilliant things about casting Iman Vellani in this too, is, you know, that's her experience too. She's raised in the culture here in, in Canada, but she's a Canadian kid. She's, you know, she's like a lot of other kids who, you know, yeah, to, to someone who looks at them, they might be like, oh, you're from elsewhere, but that's not their experience. This is all they've known. This is their life. This is who they are. No, again, I think they're doing a really nice job of, of, 
of walking a nice line between giving you those moments and and letting you into the culture without smacking you in the face with it you know like it's not it is important to her it's part of who she is but it's not all she who she is you know she's still just a normal kid with crushes on boys and trouble in school and and all these other things going on that every kid has right yeah indeed indeed yeah, for sure. yeah. so I, again I'm, I'm enjoying it so far i think i think I got to be honest after some of the sort of, you know, Moon Knight was pretty intense, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was kind of intense. Even Spider-Man was kind of intense, you know, the, the final chapter of that trilogy with, you know, people dying and all kinds of stuff. This is kind of a nice breath of fresh air from Marvel. It's 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 nice and fun and and, you know, just different. And, and I think that's very good for them. Yep. And the music. Good. Um, should we move on to a watch list? Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Oh, I mean, here you go again. Yeah, if you liked the Gazelle Automations, uh, what if Filmation had done Star Trek The Next Generation, they did a little mini episode of Star Trek Voyager in the same style as Star Trek Voyager, the animated series. And to no one's surprise, certainly not mine, when when I heard that this was available, I said, I bet you they did the Warp 10 thing, right? And they did do the Warp 10 (laughs) episode with Captain Janeway and Lieutenant Paris as... uh, uh, you know the uh, like salamander kind of creatures, and yeah, yeah. If you if you watch this, it's great. It's only about you know five to six minutes. You definitely need to to pause at uh, five minutes and twenty five seconds with the very shocked Chakotay when he's realized that they've had kids, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I also enjoyed the um, the old school reuse of uh, Tuvok's. Um, eyebrow sort of thing his quizzical eyebrow yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's That's good stuff. i'm totally gonna watch this when we're done yeah yeah all right i got a couple things um so as i mentioned in our our watch list last week we were gonna go see harry potter and the cursed child on stage here in toronto uh i will not spoil anything but i will say if you get a chance it's totally worth making an effort it was very very uh interesting it was uh so to be clear, I think we talked about it last week too. That there was there's two versions of this play. There's a full version, and then there's a truncated version. The full version is two separate performances, and it's like seven hours long. This one, they basically tightened those two stories into one story, and it's about three hours long. Three hours. Three long. hours long. So it's quite long. You pack a lunch, or what do you do? It's, I mean, you can get they they walk around and and offer Hagen Dazs <laughs> bars like you're at the uh, at the ballpark or the hockey game. But uh, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, it uh, it's timey wimey, and so you know, there's lots of you know re- characters that are that are sort of popping up where you don't expect them, and you know, the, there's you know some pyrotechnic effects, and there's lots of stuff using technology where they you know that there's wire work, so there's you know stuff like you know characters are swooping into the crowd and stuff like that at times. Like there's some really some really interesting ways of telling this story where you know. Part of it is just, you know, it's interesting to sort of see the next generation. It's, you know, Harry Potter, the next generation, right? It's Harry's an, uh, an older man. It literally picks up at the moment that the last film and book end, which is oh, Harry see. seeing older, his yeah. kids off on uh, on the train to Hogwarts Express. And, and, and um, it's them basically picking up the story from there and the adventures that the kids have that tie into Harry's life and, and, and wraps in all the characters and everything, but it's really good. And it's really, the performances were really strong. The special effects were quite well done. Even some of the stuff where, you know, you're, 
if you were further, like we were, we were reasonably close. We actually had lovely seats for the show. If you were a little further back, I think your experience would be a little different. But you know, there are times where you're like, "Ooh, how would they do that? That's really good." And the sets are fantastic. And yeah, it's just, it's just it's fun to sort of dip back into that world again. Um, I do. I could not help but watch this whole thing and think, I wonder if somewhere down the road, you know, when they get a little older, if they will, you know pay back up the Brinks truck for, you know, uh, Emma Watson and Rupert Grint and, um, and Daniel Radcliffe to, to come back and replay their, their parts and make the, the movie version of this. I, I think it would make a, a really entertaining movie as well. Although for the time being, it's, yeah, it's, it's totally worth making an effort to go see it. If it comes to a community near you, it's, it's a, it's a fun night out. We went as a whole family and, I think, you know, you sort of go in a little apprehensive, like, how are they going to do this? But by, by the intermission, we were like, this is really good. And lots of good twists and turns and um, lots of familiar faces and, and good performances. Totally worth seeing. So, yeah, if you get a chance, do that. I will. Okay. Um, on the TV front, uh, we talked about how June is just a bonanza of, of content. The next thing up is Umbrella Academy Season 3 starts uh, next week. Um, I love that series. I think it's fantastic. It's shot here in, in the city. So, uh, you know, always kind of fun to sort of see the, the, the Toronto of it all, too. Um, and we've talked about it, you know, obviously some interesting stuff coming up this season. It ends on a bit of a weird cliffhanger season two where, you know, they, they transport back to their time period. But the, the Academy has changed from the Umbrella Academy to the Sparrow Academy. And so clearly something has gone awry in their fixing of the past in season three or season two. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how that comes together. And then on top of that, of course, we have, uh, you know, our, uh, our lead cal- character, um, you know, it has transitioned in from from being a, a female actor to a male actor. So how they're going to incorporate that into the story in Elliot Page's you know life, how that's going to work is going to be interesting to see how they how they bring that together. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Honestly, I got to be honest, it's the same thing as Stranger Things. I kind of wish that they were putting it out week by week. The fact that they're going to drop it all is a little frustrating to have to sort of try and get through it before you can get spoiled by going online. And you can say that you can try and avoid it, but I, I got spoiled even in the, you know, I watched stranger things within less than a week and I was already spoiled on a couple of things. Cause you just can't avoid it. I mean, I work in social media, you can't avoid it. It's so hard to stay away from even Netflix themselves were spoiling stuff. They were putting stuff on their feeds of like scenes from the later episodes of this new season. I was like, Hey, that is just a dick move. But it's not going to stop me. I'm still watching and I can't can't wait for this one. And last but not least, I, I had to put this in for you guys. I hope you take the time to watch it because it's ridiculous. Uh, there's a video as a uh, speaking of, of Jaime Lopez's smash cut of How's It Going? Uh, it is all of the make it so's from Jean-Luc Picard from TNG. <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh if you want to see uh patrick stewart say the say the line make it so 86 times <laughs> you can go ahead and watch that video it's an interesting cut because you can tell the transition from season one to like season three where it feels a little bit more uh like it's got more gravitas in some mm-hmm. of the later stuff like he found a pitch in tone to go with the <laughs> yeah yeah no i think it's 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 a stupid thing but it's it's undeniably it's one of those ones where it comes back around again you watch it for a bit and you're like huh okay that's pretty funny and then you're like god this is never ending and by the time you get closer to the end you're like okay this is awesome it's so stupid and ridiculous but it's so funny 
Right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people can catch me. Where will they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. And hi, if people want to get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you can be find me, where I can be found. Yeah, that's it. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. My bedtime reminder on my watch. There you go. <laughs> Did you guys watch The Boys as well? Yes. Yes, I believe I'm caught up to that. Wait, episode four was four was the yeah four was yeah, last week's okay. yeah 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 great still good. I mean, God, that show's good. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with a problem like Homelander when all the all the tricks he might use are no longer effective? He's he's got nothing nothing left to lose. Yeah, it really is. It's it's such a it's such a great way that they sort of encapsulate, you know. Yeah, like how do you defeat somebody who's a that strong and b is just like, yeah, go ahead, come at me. And he's so good. God, Anthony Starr. I I really hope he gets recognized at some point. Like, I mean, we had him on our Spockies list this year, and it was nice that the boys got some recognition. But I really hope Anthony Anthony Starr gets some recognition for you know some awards and stuff he's so good he's so good at being just the worst mm-hmm. i mean it's a great part and they give him a lot to do but god it's good he's got good choices like one i liked is when um i, I don't remember which episode it was i think it was one of the first three when huey is there with starlight and and chatting with uh, homelander and huey is mad and and walks in closer to and he's actually taller than homelander and homelander kind of just stands yeah. there and, and doesn't flinch per se but more like oh <laughs> you have the guts to walk in on me yeah <laughs> like wow that's yeah that's amusing yeah just his his ability to turn like he's got such a great face for emoting just to go from like that pasted on smile to just like grinding his teeth and like he's just so good at switching it on and off and on and off and oh he's he's just a freaking delight that guy but yeah i mean everybody's killing it on that show it's so good uh trailer i just watched the west world one no that was the only one i checked in there okay weird timing they just put it out like a few hours ago yeah I'm, i i tried to go back and start watching that again i got maybe like 15 minutes in and then oh dust has been shiny i mean yeah. it's a difficult difficult week for us because like we're trying to consume all this wwc stuff and mm-hmm. yeah trying to change the world one app at a time hey, hey, hey. yeah i think for 
something like a West world that's heavily serialized, you're probably better off. I mean, unless you really have the time to binge through the most recent season, you're probably better off looking for a recap of the season on YouTube. It'll probably be like 20 to 30 minutes. Oh yeah. And they'll give you mm-hmm. probably most what you'll want going into season four. Well, what is it? Like there are 10 episodes per season. I think I'm like on seven. I'm in starting the seventh episode because the problem is it's been so long since I watched it. I start watching when I'm going, yeah, okay, I've seen this before. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it was a uh, it was a long time ago. They take a long break between their seasons. I think that really yeah. impacts things. But uh, I think about the the episode where I, where I got to the Merovingian, I thought, oh, this is not the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew that dude. Whatever he is, yeah, I haven't put all the pieces together. I'm still watching the Jesse Jesse Pinkman season. I guess that's the one I'm watching. Yeah. yeah. All right. Officially known as the Jesse Pinkman season. That guy <laughs> so, doesn't have another name, does he? No. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Yeah. Separately, did you all yes, see the are. breaking news? I say breaking because it only came out a few hours ago. My time is the host cities for the 2026 World Cup in yes, Canada, Mexico, Toronto, and USA. Toronto, 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 and Seattle. Yeah. Oh no way! Yeah. So the, let's start with Canada. So Toronto, Vancouver. Those are two places: yeah. BMO or BMO Field and BC Place. Yeah. Three cities. So speaking in- of small worlds, I, I happened to be driving. I was driving today because we had a, a TD Employee Appreciation Week thing. And uh, so I was driving some of the people back to Union Station, which is downtown, I mean, where the Hockey Hall of Fame is. And as I was driving by the storefront, actually, I was parked in front of the storefront because you don't really move very fast downtown at, in rush hour. Um, I looked, I spied in the window of the Hockey Hall of Fame you know, gift shop, a Toronto, a retro Toronto Maple Leaf uh t-shirt which actually just it had the t so i don't know if that's actually in the maple leaves right detroit red wings for some reason and a beautiful seattle kraken you know um home jersey the black ones or the dark ones look really tempting <laughs> yeah are you, are you switching allegiances if well no just to have a t-shirt or to have the shirt right you and i were joking about getting the shirts and wearing them on the show and the we do a video one right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Every time the NHL uh, expands, I call my friend Mike, who is a, a diehard Flyers fan, and both of us have been long-suffering fans, and I say to him, is this the time that we make the leap to a new team? Because yeah. it's heartbreaking being a fan of our two teams. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at what just happened. In, I don't If you watched any of, the, any of the playoffs, I mean, like, did you see how Toronto, their, their run? They're, like, killing it, first three games, killing it, and then the whole bottom falls out, right? And it, yeah. Well, to be fair, they're the closest team that's come to, to making Tampa Bay look human. They took the, the team that won the best record in the entire league in the next round and killed them. So That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I just watched, uh, just uh, happened to tune in yesterday to, to watch the just before the beginning of the third period or mm-hmm. the overtime period. And I and I, <laughs> I switched away and came back. I thought, oh, I'll just go away and come back and like a second later and then. Yeah, took them about uh, a minute and a half. Yeah, it's like like they were already uh, Colorado one, right? They were yeah. already cheering and whatever. Yeah, yeah, that won't last. That won't last, yeah. as we know. You think it's going to be a three peat? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a damn good uh, Colorado side. They've been building at this for a while now. Like they they're they're definitely right there. Although I think if you had to say there was one big difference, it would be Tampa's goaltending didn't look so great yesterday, but uh, I think over the course of a seven game series, I, I think their goaltending wins out. So yes, I do. Wow. Hmm. All right. Sorry, Harry, we were going to say something. Oh, so rounding out the cities for the world cup. So you've got three in Mexico, uh, Guadalajara, Mexico city and Monterrey, 11 in the United States. That'd be 
Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, New York slash New Jersey, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and as you all mentioned, Seattle. Wow. New York, New Jersey is my favorite thing. Like, we're not calling it the Meadowlands. It's a swamp. You're going to the swamp. It's not New York. You're in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited that Toronto got it. I was, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, I knew some of the political background of this. Edmonton's a better place to hold the soccer, frankly. Commonwealth Stadium's bigger and it's better. And there's a great soccer community there. I think they deserve it more than Toronto does, but they put some contingencies on it basically saying like we have to have like at least half the games in canada there and 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 and, and if they were going to put uh tax dollars towards it and i think in the end fifa was just like mm, no so toronto ended up with it even though we have the smallest stadium one of the smallest stadiums for soccer in north america well, I was ask, wasn't it was, wasn't it originally a football field like football no no field? they built it for soccer first and then then they expanded it a little bit to make it home for the uh the canadian football league argos but uh, they're going to expand it. Right now, it's 28,000 seats, which is it's a good size for a soccer stadium. Like, it's very intimate and, and that. But for a World Cup match, that is, like, sort of embarrassingly small. They're going to expand it with, a, with uh, extra bleachers. They're going to make it up to 40,000. But still, it's going to be uh, very small by World Cup standards. So they're going to put bleachers on the end? Yep. Oh, really? Wow. It's going to go way out into the parking lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but hmm. uh, I'll be really curious to see who comes to which venues too. You know, I, I really I'm excited at the prospect of a World Cup being in my backyard, but I'm not as excited when it's uh, you know Uruguay versus uh, you know South Korea. I don't really care. I want to see you know at least a couple of of a caliber matches here. So can we segue over to uh, on more than just code last? week I was to, or last time we had an episode I was talking to Jaime and Mark about the fact that they Apple started doing the Friday night baseball thing and for the first month or so it was really annoying because every time my my Apple TV would trick me into to clicking on it I would click on it and it would say the game hasn't started yet because the game because Apple hadn't signed the deal with Canada yet right oh yeah yeah so that was really annoying but now I, I just Jaime just a bit of real-time follow-up I actually it came on last Friday I think and I just clicked on the button just to see what would happen because I think at WWC they announced that that we would have something, and uh, sure enough, I was able to watch thirty seconds of a baseball team, baseball game, which is about as much as I could take. <laughs> and um, you know, so uh, so yeah, so so it looks like Friday night baseball is working here. But what I want to ask about is the the inking the deal. I think it was yesterday that Apple got soccer. Well, that's one of Jaime's stories here in our story notes. So maybe oh, we should wait until then. So. Well, no, this is this is the after show now. We're talking about this after the fact. Oh no, no, he's got this in the show notes. Oh, this <laughs> no, is no, the after I'm, show? you're not you're not paying attention. This is the after show. <laughs> okay, this is the pre after show. Cool. <laughs> no, this is the after show. You gotta, you, Jaime knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, let's let's put on a show, shall we? Oh, that's gonna really mess up the timeline too. Oh no. Sorry, folks. We just, you know, we just uh, jump. We'll jump in the the um, the Delorean and we'll set the dial and we'll we'll go we'll go back, you know, uh, an hour and a half and start the show over again. Gee, Mister Peabody, that sounds great. <laughs> All right. If you're a woman over forty dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 